back to the third place. We are we are rolling around, uh, keep on the train rolling in 2023, and I'm fresh out of the Sonic Adventure hellscape with Zach, and I feel very I feel better uh, to exercise those demons out of my spirit, and I am so excited to talk about this game, and I'm so excited to have my guest on tonight. I think he's someone who is very important to the scene and in general. He's very important to sort of my understanding of seemingly a billion different things. And I, I want to introduce him. His name's Filthy Armenian. How are you doing tonight? A man listens to podcasts. <laughs> a slave reads substacks. <laughs> I'm doing great. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm doing uh, great. Uh, that made me so happy you did Andrew Ryan voice. Uh, I, I, it is hard to me for me to, uh, list every single reason why I love your show, Filthy Armenia Adventures and Backwall. Uh, I want to mention Backwall to the show you do with Glenn. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you're genuinely, and I, you know, I genuinely think you're one of the smartest people I've ever come across on Twitter. Uh, the thing I, what I love about Filthy Armenian Adventures is that you're like, you're like a storyteller to me with your show. You know, I mentioned in the pilot episode with Jack that you're a carbon San Diego character roaming the world. <laughs> uh, but that that's honestly why I love your show is that one week you're in LA, one week you're in Europe, one week you're in, in Armenia, one week, you know, you're in New York City. I love that you turn the format into sort of this very large scale thing but the way you you know you do it is very sort of intimate you know you do the field recorder setup and all that and you also have a wonderful way of being a storyteller you have a lot of your introductions where you narrate you know you write as far as i know you write an introduction that leads into the episode i mean you know my love for filthy santa you know i i <laughs> consistently think about that intro because i i that one is burned into my brain because i was inside a milling machine listening to that episode and you're just like in full character you know reading in the voiceover booth and i just like was so happy i was like laughing inside this milling machine in the dark <laughs> and i was just like how is this man creating both a humorous funny and down-to-earth uh little little short story while portraying the character of santa claus (laughs) it was it was it truly made me like so happy in that moment but not just that you obviously i love the bowl sessions that you do with jack they're always they kind of feel like the state of the union moments during the year i i i there's so many episodes that I love. Like the Shant episode is one of my favorites. Like I, I truly love what you do with the show. I think you're a genuinely inspirational figure in that sense. And to also mention again, I love Backwall just because, you know, I am a former athlete and I love to hear just smart people talking about sports, but not just in like, this is the football take. Here's the basketball take. No, it's like, here's the episode on WNBA and we're going to have a whole thing centered around that. We're going to have a whole thing figured on Joe Paterno that, you know, 
I could go on and on about the two shows that you operate and why I love them. So I'm, I'm truly honored to have you on tonight and I'm, I'm honored that you played Bioshock for the first time. So I, I can't thank you enough. Well, that's very sweet of you to say, Sam, you really like, um, by the way, I forgot. Can I call you Sam? Yes. Don't worry. No. <laughs> okay. Fella. fella right? I, we didn't, I don't we care. went on like 15 minutes about what to call me when it doesn't matter. And then I didn't ask you, I forgot to ask you what to call you. Well, don't you worry. Do my name, my, my name's on the show on various things. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, well, fella anyway, because it's, we will call each other by our video game names. You know, or these, like, well, basically that's what Twitter is, is, you know, it occurred to, it hit me like a ton of bricks the way it's, I mean, it's not an original observation, but the way we've sort of s subconsciously chosen these video game personas to as our avatars in this uh, weird space and how how that kind of also governs a lot of behavior you see on Twitter, often mm -hmm. to a harmful extent when mm -hmm. people get too caught up in their digital uh, character and not in, and, and lose touch with reality. Mm -hmm. um, I've obviously I've really I tried really hard to um, over the course of my Twitter existence blend the two blend the digital and the real as much as possible so that it's grounded um I, I have very kind words about my podcast it's nice to hear someone who like gets the crazy shit i'm doing and appreciates the <laughs> maniacal voices in my head when they are, when they are manifested in in the in this audio format while you were describing yeah you're you know you made that great carmen san diego comp to with my with filthy armenian adventures and it was so true because also Carmen San Diego is like a weird mystery or something, as I recall. The main mm -hmm. purpose of that game was to teach geography, as I recall. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. But I always thought it was much, I, as a kid, walk, playing it with my dad on his, you know, 386 or 486 Ooh. desktop computer, whatever the fuck the very first game was on, CD-ROM. Wow. That's I always was, I was, yeah, it's a deep cut. I was played it with my dad and... And it was a very popular game with my parents because you could play it on your computer. And so, you know, in the office, when they had downtime, they would play that shit. And it was like a mental, mentally sharp game, too, because mm -hmm. it really was all about geography. It was like a geography trivia game. Yeah. And and I but I was in and the geography part bored me because I wasn't into fucking <laughs> I don't want to know the capital of uh, the capital of, uh, you know, wherever BAP is living. But <laughs> I. But like I, as a but the the aesthetics of it the 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 radio the the all the accoutrements were so enchanting to me, um, and I know they turned it into a show at some point, which had mm -hmm. fuck all to do with geography. Uh, <laughs> so I love the idea of being Carmen San Diego. I also love the idea of the way you described it, my kind of how I dart from one location to the other, sometimes spanning the globe, and. Now, you know, as you were describing it, it started to resemble very much the way you kind of explore a map in a video game, much like Bioshock, where you don't even know where you are until mm -hmm. you get there. And I feel that way about my podcast a lot. I don't know. I very often don't know where I am, where I'm going in terms <laughs> of the until I get there. And then it like lights up an entire, you know, uh, an entire little, uh, uh, you know, chirogenic freeze room or whatever, whatever mm -hmm. torture chamber I've, I've unlocked, <laughs> um, in the psyche of my mind and of the, and of the nation. So it is, a, there are a lot of, there are a lot of overlaps here with this weird experiment I've done with filthy Armenian adventures and the video game world in general and Bioshock 
as we know specifically. So I've loved hanging out with you in the group chats and really for all this time. And uh, I'm very excited that you introduced me to this game that I've been hearing about forever. I remember yeah. in my very earliest internet message boards preceding social media mm -hmm. in the early 2000s, um, I was on this like libertarian objectivist message board where I actually mm -hmm. made friends with some really interesting people. And, and I remember those like, you know, rand nerds being into this game big time and, and mm -hmm. citing it as a major example of rand's cultural influence and so on. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I, but, you know, I didn't have the console to play it. So I never, mm -hmm. never did. I only had Nintendo, as you know. I'm a Nintendo <laughs> you're <fan> the, <laughs> you're, my gaming history. You're the first one, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I love the Carmen San Diego thing too, because it makes you kind of like this elusive mystery, man of mystery, where it's like, everywhere you go you have a story to tell and you sit down and i i think i told you this months ago uh you the way you deliver your introductions very much i mean i think i said this verbatim it's like yeah your voice reminds me of andrew ryan's delivery uh in the opening of the game this very like it's like being it's like when like being at a theater and the, someone introduces the show like I, I love that aspect of your show and i love that aspect of you that it's like a grand stage that you are setting and it's like the one man traveling show going around the world and i don't know i just you know i i'm beyond thrilled that you joined the gamers as it were <laughs> yeah and if anyone who's listening is interested obviously they can find the free feed on any of their um any of their apps, but if the there's a lot of the good stuff is on the Patreon at patreon.com slash yeah. filthy Armenian. Yeah, Plug every, alert. Yeah, everyone subscribe to both Filthy Armenian Adventures and Backwall. If you don't, the I will I, I will find you and I will berate you. If you're not Big Daddy will find you <laughs> and you will not be able to hack him to be your friend. He will fucking ram into you in that menacing like Drill. fucking cannonball way. You know what I should do? I should spray. I should spray a scent on me before we continue. What should I, I'm going to go spray? Um, I'm, I'm wearing youth do. Uh, I'm going to spray. Uh, okay, cool water. Should I spray cool water? Okay, I'm going to spray cool water. Be right back. This is the perfume break, everyone. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm wearing youth do. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Oh, sadly though, the bottle is nearing the end of its life and it's bringing me great depression right now but i will get a new bottle also get the bath the bath oil uh i, I remember gotta say i'm really i'm really um <laughs> digging i'm really digging cool water i've had it for like a week now and oh, i just great. love it it reminds me of like my uncles going out on the town in the 90s or something i don't know it was my Back gym, when they were young and it was my gym set for the longest time uh, and, uh, I go through that. I went through that baby very quick because of result, because I go to the five times a week. Uh, so I was like, every time I've gone through like three bottles because, because I just can't stop wearing it. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's perfection. I, I wore youth too, because it's like the fifties sort of timepiece and the bottle seems literally like some, I'm pretty sure there's even a bottle in bioshock that looks something like this uh, oh gosh yeah it looks like a bioshock color yeah that literally color. um 
But I will ask you this question as I ask everyone uh, who comes on the show, what is the gaming history? We we got a little bit of it with this Carmen San Diego thing, but I want oh, to yeah. know your Nintendo history because you're like the first Nintendo person or like uh, person who's had a lot of history with Nintendo. I know that you are a Zelda fan and I want to hear all about Zelda from you. I am a Zelda fan. I, I am not ashamed to say it. I know it's a I know it's a symbol of extremely extremely misbegotten homosexual avenues that one might travel in one's life. But as you know, that isn't my particular journey. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I it, for me, my you know playing Zelda was not connected to my sexuality in any way. <laughs> it was simply a fact of my family life. Um, well, so. I go back a long ways. My very first console was acquired in the 80s um, mm -hmm. when the NES, the, yeah. the original NES. That was my first gaming experience. So at the time, there was nothing else. Um, mm -hmm. Sega came out later. So it wasn't until like Sega came out, as I recall. I mean, you can fact check me. As I recall, it was like Sega and Super Nintendo came out at the same time. Um, yeah. And kind of. So yeah, when the NES came out, Sega had the thing called the Master System, which no one bought um, because the NES dominated the 80s. But the Genesis came out in America, the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive for anyone who's in Europe or uh, Australia and Japan listening. Uh, the Genesis came out here in 89 and the Super Nintendo was 91. And I will say... That somehow or another, I just recurred to me, I did end up with a Genesis. I nice. love the name. It was really cool. I did end up with a Genesis. I don't know why it, I don't know like why I, it has been memory hold for me, except for one night. I mean, I remember playing, I remember playing Sonic a little bit, mm -hmm. usually at other people's houses though, uh -huh. but the, I, I had a Sega Genesis long enough to play, and this was a, a very specific night with my mom and with a family, uh, somebody from of like kind of the extended family, a young guy, cause he was cool. So I, we were like, play, that's why I remembered this. It was like a fun night we had just playing for hours and hours, the Sherlock Holmes game on uh -oh. that Genesis. And it, as I recall, I've been like searching for this game, a game this good ever since. Cause I'm totally into, you know, the, the mystery genre. Mm -hmm. And I recall it being like a very intensive detective story game with mm -hmm. all kinds of you know, clues and research and, and interrogations and this and that. I remember it being my, you know, six, whatever, yeah. <laughs> six year old memory of it is that it was super sophisticated. Um, mm -hmm. So, but, but for some reason, the, maybe because the Sega Genesis remained at my dad's at some point and, 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 you know, and it's a long story. For some reason, it's mostly memory hold in me. And I've been a Nintendo person. I started out by playing Mario on Nintendo and Duck Hunt. The, yes. That kid with the, the gun classic. that came with every fucking system. Yes, the zapper. I never could fucking, I could never kill a duck. I had no <laughs> acumen. I'm not a hunter. I am not a hunter. And I don't know if I'm a gatherer, but I could not fucking kill a single duck in that game. Um, but how, <laughs> I did, however, enjoy playing Mario, you know, as we, one does. Yeah. And then the next, and then of course, Zelda happened. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there were other games I played, okay, other games I really enjoyed and played the hell out of. Well, there was, of course, Tecmo Bowl. Yes, of course. Um, famous Tech Mobile. I've loved that game. And mm -hmm. and I really loved Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. Little known fact about me is that I had an I was 
I was addicted to Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune for many years in my childhood. I would watch it every night, both of them back to back, must watch programming for years. Mm -hmm. When we got on vacation, I would find the local affiliate that was showing them and watching, watch them. It was a absolute, uh, like I set my life to Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. They played back to back. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like those games. Um, mm -hmm. I have many games on that console. I mean, I remember um, trying to remember. Of course, there was also, wait, did I have NBA Jam? That came out on Super Nintendo, I think. Yeah. I had a bunch of games, whatever it was. But when Zelda came out, um, the three Marios, I remember. And then Zelda was a huge deal. Yeah. Zelda, it was a huge deal because it's the first game that my parents were really all into. Oh. And the only game they yeah. ever were all into. So I played it with my parents. And around the age of four, you know, I think like beating Zelda was the last thing we did together as as a undivorced family. And and then around the age of four, my parents split up, got separated. They would still they were still for several years, you know, hang out with each other at, at our respective homes at this point. And it was then that Super Nintendo happened and they mm -hmm. and like one of the big events that would like bring my dad over to my mom's new new place in my grandmother's house to play to like would be to play and to defeat the super nintendo zelda uh -huh. so which i don't link to the past which was this beautiful game that had a, in the booklet it was sealed you weren't supposed to open the seal until unless you got super stuck and you couldn't find that shadow world <laughs> so i remember the whole drama playing that beautiful game uh, uh. that's where it kind of like Zelda. you know I, the first two zeldas were great and i know that zelda 2 on nes was I believe, according to the thing I read, that's where the that that's what especially was influenced by Twin Peaks, Zelda Two, whatever the second Zelda on NES was. Yes, Zelda Two: Link's Awakening, I think, is the name. Link's Awakening was like explicitly influenced by Twin Peaks, it's, yeah. according to the creators. Yeah, it's Link's Awakening or Link's Adventure is the second one. Uh, I think it's Awakening. Yes, I think that, it's awakening. That, there, that makes there is, sense. There is a Link's Awakening. It was for the Game Boy, I think. Uh, they oh, recently, okay. They I never played that. Yeah, they recently remade it um, for the Switch. Um, but yeah, the Zelda 2 was such a drastically different game from the first Very one. Very different. It's... Uh, I can't. I can't. I wish I could put myself in the shoes of you know being back in the day and getting Zelda for the first time because you get the gold cartridge, you know, you put it in. Suddenly now the game can save. You can save your progress. There's no hints, no guide, no nothing about how nothing. to traverse this eight bit world that is very, very, very loose uh, ideas of enemies like fire and like vague pig monsters and dragons and knights and it's all very it's just enough to get you a sense of the world but it somehow transcends itself as an 8-bit game which you know is rare back in the day just because games were still getting off their feet really i mean the the idea of the the family console had only really been around for let like seven years at that point, you know, and Nintendo coming in at when they did in the post game crash of the early eighties uh, from the Atari days. And suddenly Nintendo swoops in with their gray box that, 
took your cartridge into itself and they have a robot peripheral that you can have. You have a gun game and suddenly they drop a game about an Italian plumber running around a kingdom with uh, various uh, like these very out there concepts. And then they drop Zelda, which is also out there concepts on a bunch of American players. I just, I wish I could put myself in the shoes of like that sort of landscape where it was just like suddenly you're introduced to this brand new thing that's like t- completely different from anything had been brought to the shores of America. And I, I love that your history goes that from the beginning because a lot of people, I think their history starts with Ocarina on the N64. Uh, and I, I would say Zelda is probably my favorite Nintendo franchise. You know, at the at the very least, Nintendo always does something very interesting with that property. Like, and I think what always is so universally true and beloved about Zelda is the sense of adventure. Uh, and they they play on that idea with so many different entries. Uh, you know, Link to the Past is one of my favorite ones, you know, when they introduce the dark world and suddenly now the world is twice as big and it's completely disturbing and unnerving to see basically an opposite world. And yeah, then suddenly a few years later, you get a 3D Zelda that's in many ways paved the ways for basically every 3D adventure game that followed it. And then a year later you get Majora's Mask, which is the darkest entry in the series <laughs> with the Yeah, that's also another Twin Peaks influenced one. As I yeah. recall, the mm-hmm. um the article saying Majora's Mask was again pulling big time from Twin Peaks. And I love Majora's Mask. I love the very dark and very depressing world of that game and just the ever looming presence of death, which is very you know, this was back when, you know, properties for children could still actually, you know, treat children like, you know, they could understand those concepts and not like shave off all the rough edges of something. Uh, the fact that like you just look into the sky and you see this disturbing moon with a face coming closer and closer as each minute ticks by like. I can't imagine what it was like to experience that. Like as your console is on the end of its life cycle, and then suddenly you have this new horizon, the new millennium with the GameCube. Like, yeah, this is your final entry in the Zelda series. Like at the time, this is your newest entry. And it's like all about the world literally about to end. And in many ways, you can't stop it from ending. Uh, you, you know, other than, you know, the, the time mechanic, which is, you know, I think for a lot of people puts puts them off to that game is managing the time. Uh, but I love it, dear. I mean, I love a lot of entries in Zelda. I even love Wind Waker. I know everyone wants the shit on Wind Waker. I don't know if have you played Wind that's Waker. That's the cartoony one? Yeah, that's the cell shaded one. And I love that one. I, I, I mean, it is the most innocent and playful of the series. But I love that it's I just love that art style. Like it's so beautiful. And it still looks beautiful to today. Uh, I love Twilight Princess, uh, which was the one, the one on the Wii and the GameCube, which was the quote dark entry in the series. Like the, 
I think it was the first one to get a teen rating, which I think was. I don't think I played that one. I haven't oh. played. So I, I barely played the cartoon one mm -hmm. or not that much. My sister kind of. And I didn't. And I don't know about this princess one, though, the dark one from the yeah. Wii. I mean, it, I had a Wii. It's very much. It came out in 06. Uh, yeah, 2006, 2007. And it definitely was sort of in that post Lord of the Rings era of like fantasy games uh where it has a much like the art style is much more drab and dark and there's a lot more like epic scale epic size to it uh people like to people wanted to hate that game for a long time because it was quote too linear uh but now they're coming back around to it uh much like every Zelda game everyone hates the new one everyone praises the last one uh, sort of thing, uh, except for Skyward Sword, albeit I'm trying to wrap my head around Skyward Sword. Uh, that one's the one everyone hates right now. Everyone despises Skyward Sword. Uh, Which one is that? I don't so it's know supposed to be the prequel game uh, where you play as like, it basically sets the sort of like foundational elements of Zelda. So it's like, Oh hey, this is how the Master Sword became how it is. Here's you know the first iteration of Zelda, the first iteration of Link. You know here's how Ganon becomes to be the sort of central uh, evil force of Hyrule sort of thing. But its sort of mechanic is that it takes place in the sky, so you know hence Skyward Sword. Um, mm -hmm. It's very linear, and the sort of main gimmick that it had is it was motion controlled, so that you use the Wii the Wii controller to simulate swiping your sword. Uh, okay, I see. So that one's very linear and and we live in a post breath of the wild world so like everyone hates the linear one and praises the new one because it's like the most free and open thing you could ever imagine. You know, I have my gripes with Breath of the Wild, but I can't, you know, there's there's a genuine, I do have a genuine sense of fun of just having like total and utter control of where I go and what I do in a Zelda world. There's there's a novelty to that, you know, because you never fully got that in older entries. Like you were on a set path and all this sort of thing. And to get that sort of like, hey, you can go straight to the final boss if you want to. Like, I, I appreciate the fact that Breath of the Wild just even included that from the get-go. Like, I could never do it, but I've seen crazy right. people do it. And I... It's... I, ins yeah, it, I mean, I played Breath of the Wild. I remember when it was sort of soonish after it came out. My Because, again, my sister's the one who has all the gaming stuff. Mm -hmm. I had detached myself from gaming completely, um, except for an old Xbox that I bought specifically to play NC Madden 14, Mm -hmm. Madden 2014. I mean, no, not sorry. NCAA 2014. Mm -hmm. That was the game that I kind of played through the 2010s. Uh, the only game. And when when Zelda came out, you know, there was this like one Christmas time, I started playing it, and during like the holidays, and it would just I would be playing it, and like it would be tomorrow. Like mm -hmm. I, all this time would pass, and I was like, oh my god, I cannot do. I I am so addicted. <laughs> I cannot do this. I cannot. It's so it is so absorbing. I mean, I love playing Zelda. I ha I have it on this thing now, and I'm afraid to start again because <laughs> I I beat the Water World, yeah. the uh, Aqua World, 
Mm-hmm. That's the only like of the four worlds I've beaten so far. I, I got stuck trying to make my way through Goron world because I need to find a fire suit and I haven't yeah. been able to find that fire suit to, to, to make me stand the heat. <laughs> yeah. That's where I'm like, mm-hmm. that's where I'm stuck with at Goron world. And that's where I left off. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny too. Because the path you were following is the path I followed. <laughs> I went, I went, yeah, from I don't know why I went to Goron. Yeah, why to Goron? Because it's the big mountain. You want to go into the it's big It's so beautiful, though. The game is so beautiful. There's so many beautiful areas. There's just areas that it just makes me feel... I love the villages. I love the Kakariko village and all those fucking mm-hmm. villages. The storyline of the game feels very much like Armenian history. There's this, like, genocide that happened 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. There's this, There were so many parallels to me uh, that I was like, this is so... I, I find a certain... With Zelda, there's a certain, like, Japanese seriousness to it that i like um there's a certain rea- even though it's such a fairy tale game there's a certain reality to it that's like it's like an f- actual fairy tale it's like it's not mm-hmm. fake creatures like the creatures yeah. there are cre- fake cre- there are imaginary creatures but they're kind of like the monsters that a that a uh, a real child would imagine they're these like hybrid beasts you know um they have personality uh i love the little villages i love how you can the little tasks you need to do for the villagers the chickens and the fucking fishing i like the (laughs) cooking i like all that shit the horses the the way that mysteries are sort of the elegance of the puzzles in those uh temples uh which are like that's a classic zelda Mm -hmm. signature is like the just like the kind of puzzles you have to solve and then you know (laughs) when anytime you finally hit it it's just it's not too hard it's not you don't have to be autistic to be good <laughs> at it. You just have to you just have to, you know, look around a little, explore a bit and mm-hmm. you know, you can pick that's what I like. It, it seemed to really thread that needle between having to be an autistic gamer weirdo and being a normal person who solves a puzzle which is nice and pretty and a nice music plays. And then of course like, you know, I loved Ocarina of Time uh i ocarina of time which was like the first really open world it wasn't as open as breath of the wild but it was at the time it was like utterly and you know mario was also open at the time but it was open but they were as you say they were more directional mm-hmm. and they were slightly more directional than breath of the wild which you could literally just do in any order mm-hmm. um but it was so nice to the mu- i love the music in ocarina of time i just i, oh, I yeah. mean some of it would play in my head to this day koji kondo music koji kondo music is like a brain worm like if you just hear it enough times you will just start humming it and i don't know what is what it is about that man and his music but he knows how to just tap into that part of my brain where it's just like yeah i'm just like humming along these like little tunes that make no sense be like but it's like an extension of the game itself where it follows you and it starts to be immersion oh it does the immersion breaks from the digital code and now suddenly it's part of your everyday life and it certainly doesn't help that the switch can go everywhere you go uh in fact it's so it you know it being a portable system uh but i love your connection to zelda because the general zelda consensus is not at it's very sort of standard or it's over autistically analyzed in video essays and i i just i i I explained why i don't like them in the last episode it's like there needs to be sort of it i think it just has to come from 
that point of view where the creator showed uh, Shigeru Miyamoto came from, which was the series came from him exploring sewers and forests in his town in Japan. You know, you have to like, it comes from a very pure sense of, you know, place and time from a specific man. And it's become larger than life. And I, I respect Zelda through so many of its entries for being able to in, reinvent itself, but also stay true to what makes it special. And I guess this is a question. Are you getting the sequel? The sequel's coming out in May. I mean, do I, I, just, <laughs> I wish I just could, I wish I could just like stop the hands of time and enter a portal where I can play Zelda beyond time, linear time, and come back and it's the same time I left. Because I'm, I, where am I going to find the thousand hours that it's going to take me to like, do everything thoroughly exhaust this world? I mean, I'm still only 25% of the way through Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. My sister will definitely get it. And so I'll definitely, you know, <laughs> dabble. So what, I mean, so if you, you know, if I have a, I need to get a thing where I'm paid to play video games, basically. Because <laughs> I don't see how else I can justify it. It's just too, it's like a fucking, it's crack. Make that Zelda's part of your crack. Patreon. Make that part of your Patreon. Feel like pay me. To Who play? wants to hear me twitch? <laughs> yeah, play me. Yeah, I'll be a pay. Are there any pay pigs out there who want to just pay me to to play a game? I'll do it. For, I'll do it for money. I'll be Hassan Piker. I'll become a Turkish streamer, Twitch streamer for money. That's where I'm at in my career. So what we're saying? The leftist too. I'll do. So I'll say healthcare for all in between striking at Ganon. I'll say healthcare for all. Uh, no, don't. Uh, no. Uh, How do these people do it, man? I I love I, this. I love it. I mean, I can't. I I. It's. I, yeah. I love. I I fucking love it. It's. It's. And you could tell. I didn't know that, but you could tell that the it, it the the game is imagined from a real place and not yeah. from a cart like and not from like a secondhand, you know, graphic novel mm -hmm. thingamajig. It's like it, yeah. it feels like it comes from a real experience of the world. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what and that's what's communicated ultimately. And the sanctuaries and the like the mm -hmm. the the, the, the religious aspect of it is very um present, you know, uh the churches, the Mm -hmm. the, the uh, yeah there's a there's a very there's a very er, there's an earthiness to it that that makes it all feel like you know it make it gives you a sense of grace playing it where i which i, I don't feel playing certain other, like i don't feel that grace playing shooter games yeah i never have i'm such a pussy when it comes <laughs> to violence in tv uh i mean in, in video games my my mom brainwashed me to like not think of myself as killing people in games she mm -hmm. was she told me that you're just zapping them <laughs> you're not killing them you're zapping them because look here they are again they come back um so she was very she didn't let me play i once got a uh, the freddy cougar game friday the 13th for nes somebody gave oh, it for me for christmas or a birthday wow she, i was not allowed to touch it it was placed above the fridge on a place i could not reach and i never was able to play that game <laughs> I was not allowed to play that game. So I was bred to, you know, now of course, eventually I could do whatever I wanted, but I was really bred not to favor like extreme violence in games, to look at that Zelda Mario world violence is fake, obviously, because it's not real violence, like yeah. throwing, throwing. The enemies go into poop. You know, 
you know, poof of smoke and that's it. Yeah, and, poof of smoke and they reappear and they're not human. You're not killing human mm-hmm. beings. Yeah. You're you're and and that ultimately that's the number one thing is you're not killing human beings. But you know, and in in and in Mario, a human being is getting a flower and then shooting fireballs. Uh, <laughs> sounds like, sounds a lot like uh, you know the disco era or something. You're, he's yeah. like pausing <laughs> the, uh, uh, the the uh, the Agumba. He's a flamer. Uh, but anyway, he's a total flamer, just spreading it around <laughs> in, in ni- 1981 Greenwich Village. But yeah, so I so you know that I have a. F- now these are all the qualities that make up for a, an, an arrested development uh, Gerber baby Nintendo gay, which I have not become, thank God. Um, <laughs> and, but it did, and it unfortunately, and then you know the only other game, there are side, and I love Donkey Kong for similar reasons, like the another classic Nintendo franchise where it seemed like I just just the music is fun everything is fun it was a nice like mental break from the open world you know once things got open world with Mario and Zelda Donkey Kong with its its linear direction was was always a fun change up to play um I loved it it was always again you Mm. could kind of figure out how to it was never too difficult and it was always just fun colorful and creative and and mm-hmm. in, in, in interesting and simple, but like it, you know, it was a fun gaming. I always liked the gaming aspect of that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, timing of jumps and shit. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I liked Donkey Kong a lot. I remember really liking, really playing the hell out of because I was a big Adams Family fan all my life, and I and um, I remember really liking the Adams Family game for Super Nintendo, I believe. I think i think it was super nintendo mm-hmm. uh, that the, the one that i really played the shit out of mm-hmm. i may have had the one for nes as well but I, I i feel like it was super nintendo it was really i felt like it was a really fun game and cool game mm-hmm. um i also played the shit out of aladdin for super nintendo oh the, i feel the, like that was a fun game oh yeah no aladdin on snes and genesis because they're actually technically different i mean they're the same but they're different uh both of them are fantastic like i, I would say no, I mean, I can't pick either one because they're both just solid, really well-made games. Like, I can't I can't criticize them, really. I mean, it's funny to think that I, I believe that the, the director of that those Aladdin games went on to make Resident Evil. And I just, I find that very hot. Uh, oh, humor. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it being really cool. I remember Aladdin games being really cool. The Aladdin, the one game that I just remember playing one. Um, well, I, let me see. Hold on. Well, I have the Genesis version, but I have Aladdin on oh, Genesis. Nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I, I like your little Donkey Kong bit. Cause I mean, Donkey Kong country is those, that series is a very special little blip in time. Obviously, everyone has like very extreme nostalgia for it. I mean, the fact that it's like these pre-rendered visuals, but in like two dimensions, and it felt like so futuristic. And I can just think of the music. The music is a, beyond, like on another level. It, uh, I mean, I automatically just think of Sticker Brush Symphony, just like this sort of airy computer synth, like heavenly sound that is so different. And that was such a benefit of the Super Nintendo is because they had the better on paper the better sound chip and they could do way more with it. You know, they had way more variety that they could do compared to the Genesis, which is why you would get such amazing music. Like 
heck, you know, like Final Fantasy VI, for example, that's why they were able to do an opera with like little chip tunes. They were able to do an opera set piece moment where you just hear lyrics on the screen as this little chip tune music plays. And it's like, this is like the, like, you know, the doors are opening for the medium. And it's like, now they're telling these really large, grandiose, epic stories with, you know, in today's standards, very primitive technology. And it's like beautiful to see that landscape. Uh, and it's, I think it's always important to, go back to that era because you have to just imagine how that was still very young in the industry's lifespan where they're already, they're still, they're continually trying to do new things and push new things. And even if I have my qualms with Nintendo, as it were, I can't deny the sort of origin point that they had and the sort of importance they had that can't be stated enough, just the sort of their beginnings and them paving the way for, you know, future iterations of consoles and games and whatnot. I mean, so many different companies are just inspired by Nintendo properties to some extent. And I'm glad that you were able to give your own little history with uh, Zelda in particular. I'm, I'm interested if you ever played Metroid. I'm, I'm, no, I never heard of it actually. Oh, that was back in the day. That was one of Nintendo's biggest properties. It was a a sci-fi, pr- sort of inspired by Alien adventure games, where it's all about navigating this like alien maze as you play as this bounty hunter woman, uh, just with an arm cannon rolling around, jumping in these like very grotesque and very. I mean, for lack of a better way to say it, it's just the Alien franchise inspirations all galore all over. And mm. it's, I think you might like the Metroid games. I mean, they're, <clears throat> they're, they're, they're open-ended, but they're 2D and they're all about finding things and pay, opening doors to get to new areas, getting new abilities and all that stuff. And I think you would like the aesthetic, uh, honestly, uh, I always loved Metroid just because of the Justin Bailey code uh, and uh, getting to play as the main character, Samus. There's like, you get to play with her in her like bikini. You get like the little flash of her in a bikini waving Hmm. to you, like in 8-bit graphics. There's always like that. No matter how they try to make Samus like this very cool, cold and collective bounty hunter, it's like there's still that like charm deep within it. And yeah, I mean, I think you would love Zelda. Oh, and also, just because I know sort of your aesthetic with your show and what you like, I think you would like L.A. Noir, which I think you mentioned you played. Oh, I played it. I played it and finished it. Yeah. I played the shit out of it. That mm-hmm. was the game that... So it's like, a, I, I guess, you know, there, yeah, during the pandemic, as I moved into Little Armenia in Hollywood, <laughs> and as life and as my, you know, my apartment is basically an, a noir detective's office. Mm-hmm. Like, like that is what my apartment is, um, and and so I've really been, uh, I've really, and you know, I started to research old LA stuff for a project I was working on. Eventually, it has flowered into, you know, into inspiring filthy Armenian adventures. But I was like mm-hmm. spending a year just researching the hell out of LA, um, walking around the streets nonstop. Pretty, cl- I'm pretty close to downtown here, more closer mm-hmm. than I used to be. So. 
the feel I was really I got back into the LA noir kind of vibes mm -hmm. and uh and uh, I still am largely in those vibes and I therefore played that game um I really really liked it I liked it a lot I liked the, the the sounds, the little sound effects, you know, the gameplay where you're shooting. I never I don't care so much about the shooting parts. I yeah. like the I like the in, yeah, I like the detective parts. I like the interrogation parts. I like the I like all the cut the cutscenes. I like all the driving around in old cars and mm -hmm. diners and with the diners and then the you know the smoke coming out and like the cocktail lounges and the jazz places mm -hmm. and the I liked all that shit. Uh, so it was very very suitable you know if there's a game like that if there's a good detective game like that like mystery game um i will fucking play that shit if there is a if they ever come out with a good poirot game the ones they have are pretty lame i've mm -hmm. played them on computer but if they ever did a good like i played the sherlock holmes game computer game too it was whatever if they ever come out with a good one of these fucking things like a real good one or like somewhat a game that i would want to be truly like open world in a sense where i mean not in the, like what open world does for that type of game mm -hmm. i would want i want a version of that in the mystery game so that you actually are um you know there's there are, like you actually can it's, it's like like you actually can affect the outcome by your intelligence i feel i want a game like that for mystery i don't mean that i don't want it to be an overwhelming hard thing i just want it to be type of thing where within certain parameters your intelligence your 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 uh you know the choices you make it, there was a bit of that in la noir where mm -hmm. the choices to kind of like where you try to catch them lying you know like i like that i like that i want to take that to the next level i want to take it i want to take i want to take being like a really cool mystery game to the next level and i would be really into that um yeah. and you know especially if you made it like fun, not just in a mystery puzzle solving way, but in just like overall the story and everything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I would be totally <clears throat> into a project like that. There, so anyway, yeah, I, I love the LA Noir. Yeah, there, uh, in terms of detective games, it's actually kind of a subgenre that's not as big as it probably could be. Like I think of the Ace Attorney games where you play as like a lawyer going in a kit, you have to, argue a case and you have to find evidence to help your defendant uh win the case and it's done in a very like anime style it's made by capcom it's a it's a long-running series at this point i think it's been almost going for 20 years uh i think there was a sherlock holmes game that was recent that was based off some of the original stories um i think of sam and max i think of the wolf among us um the newer batman games had i mean they were like a beat-em-up brawler but they had detective elements in it you know to fit in with the thing of batman uh there was like trying to piece together clues and puzzles mixed in with you know punching and fighting and all that sort of stuff uh la noir is like the one that sticks out of my mind there's also professor layton but that's more of like a younger kid audience but it's still an interesting concept like there's also papers please which is like you play in like a soviet you are a soviet passport agent and you have to uh punch people in to cross the border 
and you have to decipher if they have like a fake passport or they are trying they're like terrorists trying to smuggle a bomb across the line like it's a very a very interesting concept and uh i know it's a very beloved sort of cult niche game that you might like so yeah i mean detective games i think they were much bigger a few decades ago and i i kind of wish that more of them were on a grander scale so i think i i, I just love getting to talk about people's game history and yours is like diff just like you like different enough where like i glad i get to talk about nintendo for a little bit more because i haven't real i mostly have spent my time kind of decrying the modern nintendo landscape but i i i was i'm just like happy all our friends I seem to hate it and make fun of it so i i know it's like not a popular thing to be into nintendo but i mean i'm just you know i was into it as a kid and it's the reason that I never, I mean, I'm also explaining why I have no history with PlayStation uh, or until I got that old Xbox One mm -hmm. in order to play NCAA for 2014. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any history with that either. So I, my, my relationship to the grown-up games and to the, the raunchy <laughs> games, it just doesn't exist. I mean, I, I have GTA 5 on this, on this Xbox uh, I, I was given and I played it a little bit and it was fun to drive around LA I, I, although I never made it to UCLA, I couldn't find UCLA, even though the, I know it's in the game. I don't like the gameplay so much. I like the plots and I like the, the you know, funny little things, but the cheat, the sexual things and whatever, but the actual like, you know, meat, the car the chases and huh? the meat of it. Yeah, the meat of it is, is I mean, I, I think it's, got, it's a cool storyline. I like that I could just watch like an avant-garde movie in a cinema just mm -hmm. for 20 minutes yeah it, gta is all about like just giving you total freedom to you have a story there and you can tackle it when you want but it's like being in this like voyeuristic space where you get to do anything like i talked about gta 4 with hayden and that's like hey you get to live your life in like fake new york city and you know get to see some famous elements of new york city but it's like getting to role play in like new york city fresh off the boat as some like vaguely unnamed eastern european trying to make it his american dream happen and like you get to go in like restaurants and go into diners you get to go clothes shopping you get to you know go to the go to the boardwalk and go go bowling with your cousin like there's all these like, yeah, like little that. there's like all these little just side details that just make these worlds extremely detailed and you can get truly lost in and become like a crazy person in uh i think gta is a very important franchise i think i will say it's much more of a straight guy thing like i've <clears throat> i've never like fully gotten into it but i can appreciate just the sort of like outlandishness of it like i mentioned with Hayden, like in GTA four, there's radio ads that are just completely comical and meant to like play up the ridiculousness. Cause GTA is made by a bunch of Europeans. It's made by Scottish people. Um, so like it's them and doing like a social vandalizing ex exaggeration of America. So in GTA four, there's a radio ad for America's next top hooker. Um, yeah. and they have a theme song for that one and there's also a radio commercial for uh kids banging on trash cans the live production uh <laughs> stop <laughs> yeah it's and yeah it's i love that aspect of gta uh i definitely 
it's not like my thing, but I can appreciate the franchise and all its various entries. I mean, I love Vice City because it's just, hey, you get to play a game and it's Miami Vice. Like, that's cool enough to me, I think. Um, but, oh, you were going to say something? Oh, it's super cool. It's a super cool game. I, it, it just feels overwhelming. Again, it's one of those things where I feel like I'm going to lose 90,000 hours of my life. <laughs> If I really get into it. So I have to just be super casual about it. Otherwise, I'm just going to be, you know, I have so much I need to do. I, I feel like uh, you know, I'm not in my 20s anymore. And <laughs> I'm I just don't have time. I just don't have the time. Yeah, so if I can be given if we can find an elixir or some video game doodad that I can just fucking apply so that time stops, fr freezes. That, and I can play all I want and then go back to life resuming. That's what I would prefer. So I can get, get caught up on all these fucking games. Let's let's get you to gamer mode. We're going to make you a gamer. A gamer once again. Oh my God. <laughs> it's going to take money. It's going to take lots of money. It's going to take... I need Hassan Piker money to get Wait, into gaming. So I need him to give me... We're going to get the Filthy Armenia Twitch channel up and running here in 2023. Yeah. We're going to get you donations. We're going to get you stream goals and all this sort of stuff just so that you can do, do live out this fantasy I, we're gonna do I it one, one of these days by golly we're gonna do it i mean it was the one nice thing about the pandemic which left nothing to do which was like all right well i guess i can i guess i can play a game here to, to feel something to give <laughs> some sense of adventure to have some because all i would do is uh, you know i would do what i do now which is walk around Hollywood, but it's deserted. There's nothing to do. They're just walking around listening to Bob Dylan, uh, you know, ranting in my head instead of out loud until I started the podcast. Yeah. And then, and that's just so, and so I had the kind of excuse to play video games. Mm -hmm. But although even then, you know, when my friends were in town and before they all went their respective ways, I enjoyed most like playing board games because one of my friends is a very big board game fanatic he used to be a big video game fanatic and still is he's a gaming fanatic um and he's but he transferred a lot of his like interest to board games at one point um mm -hmm. which made it which is those are fun that's fun because it's social mm -hmm. and you can get high with your friends and it's yeah. cute yeah um it, whereas you know they're cute they're not <laughs> you know, they're not religious in any way. They're not what this is, but they're but they're cute in this. They can you know you can eat and get high and you can uh, shoot. You can you can talk shit and you can that I like that. And it's also kind of a familiar family type of uh, pastime. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean anything. You know, there's a lot of jibber jabber about games being art and all this stuff, which I I have yet to buy outside of small, you know very narrow senses in which I believe it's true. I think it's the religion part is truer. The, the part that my friend Leal Leibovitz, who is one of the founders of um, the tablet, uh, and he wrote a book called God in the Machine, God in the Machine, Video Games of Spiritual Pursuit, um, back in 2015. Uh, and if you're really into video games philosophically and like in this deep way, you might consider reading it. It's a thin like study of games as I remember that I read it a while ago, but the argument he's making deeply and he, you know, covers a lot of the, some of the games we're talking about. Um, but he was making a case that games aren't so much art. They are religion 
and in, in a very literal way, like mm. the way that you have, like as with any, as with all religions, the way that you they that you have to, it's the custom and the way like the the uh, sacraments and the and the the rituals of worship are basically how you actually perform this your religious uh, your religious affiliation and that's kind of what happens in games as you learn as first of all you're you're in a kind of prayer like worshipful body position you become at one with this god in the machine and you're learning you learn how to behave mm -hmm. you know more and more and more faithfully to yeah. what you need to do according to the laws of the game uh -huh. um and so he made a very strong it's a strong argument about how like it's so technically religious yeah um and, and i you can, can see it yeah you know? i can see it. it you get invested in you know symbols you know imagery and all this sort of you know make, you know ritualistic things you have to do in order to get through the the thing you know the game i can definitely see that argument and i swear you mentioned it before we started recording and i i swear i have seen this because when i was in college like I, I minored in video game design so it's like i could have swore i saw this like in one of our classes i don't know if we read it but like it was mentioned um it's definitely an interesting argument like the whole games is art thing there's such a viciously divided take on it because a lot of people especially in the post gamergate world that we live in a lot of people try to say no 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 people who are saying games is our art are the sort of libtarded people who want games to not sort of be outside of their original like nerd-esque group of people but then you have like people who are trying to vouch games as art as in you know the medium as art <clears throat> trying to prop up different things i mean games as art is such a difficult thing that people can't seem to give a yes or no answer like i am on the side of yes but it's all about trying to understand games and you know in all the facets they are because there's so much that goes into these products you know not on not even just in the sort of super you know the surf the surface level stuff of visuals sound uh you know visual sound voice acting cutscene direction you know and all that sort of stuff it's there's something deeper within the product itself that i think there is an artistic merit to the medium i just think you know in living in the age of the post video essay world where it's like not focusing on what matters it's like this sort of autistic deep dive into aspects that really don't matter and presenting also just like annoying wrong opinions you know i think you many games throughout time can be argued as art whether it be from like just the gameplay loop and how well it's designed or to the story aspect and these sort of questions it asks or or these sort of evocative imagery that it provokes inside you or you know whatnot you know i think there's so much to games that it almost becomes like difficult to point down like what what can be artistic in it in a sense like that's how i've always seen it i guess yeah it is hard to pin down um I would, I'll, I'll, you know, let me, can, can I go make coffee for, yep. can I take a quick break? I'll yeah, try to think about how to talk, talk about the game, games as art thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh,
Okay, I'll be back in a few minutes. I just need to brew a pot. Okie dokie. Welcome to the Circus of Values! No refunds, no returns! He's back with his coffee. I'm back. I'm liked, back with my coffee. <clears throat> I liked hearing all the sounds in the background. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was quite a few sounds there to make a coffee with the grinding of the beans, the brewing of the pot, the pouring of the cup, the crunching of the carrots in my mouth as a snack. There's so many different little things. It's part of the charm of making coffee is all the things that go, go get her involved. Um, yeah, so... So the yeah, question I, of can names be art? I don't want to sound at all like a fuddy-duddy or like a you know fusspot because mm -hmm. that will not nobody wants to hear to smell like a stench, decaying, decrepit old man, just sort of disintegrating into a cloud of discontent at these newfangled things. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately the proof is in the pudding about anything. Can anything be art? You know we've been talking about podcasts as art, and I'm not going to get into that conversation necessarily, but mm -hmm. it's all about the proof. Like if you were to tell me in 2010, can podcasts be art? I'll be like, what? What are you talking about? Um, it's just radio. Yeah. Um, it's just a talk show. Like mm -hmm. what, is, what do you mean art? Well, a talk show a, a talk show in total can be art, of course, if you look at it in a certain way. Uh, I don't believe that I haven't watched it. Mm -hmm yet but like in dallas uh, uh, uh knots landing let's say which mm -hmm. is a soap opera i'm assuming no one would consider that art other than in the most you know the most elemental way that it's a soap opera it's a tv sh you know it's an entertainment it's entertainment right mm -hmm. where i'm not i'm not saying it is i'm not saying it's not art because i haven't seen it but i'm just saying like mm -hmm. i'm just going to take go go basing basing it off of its genre as a trashy soap mm -hmm. but is, but but look at its influence on the perfume nationalist, which is art because it's this individual vision of the world that that contends with reality and imposes itself upon reality in an, in a, in a manner that is definitely just technically speaking art. Mm -hmm. um, so things have a different things have very you never know where art might come from. Yeah, it does. However, when it comes to games, I think we have to like. There's a lot of there are a lot of obstacles between between games being art, and I think that um, you know it's it, it's like it's an ongoing debate, and it really does depend on you saying to me, mm -hmm. "This is my here's your argument for why this game is art," and then I'm and then I have to buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and <laughs> kind of I, thing. You know, or enough people have to buy it. I should say. I, yeah, and I I get that it's the games as art debate. I've I've personally have like seen for the bat like the literally the past ten years, and it definitely got to the mainstream in the last ten years because we've seen game well for one games as the broad industry as it is is now the biggest money maker in terms of the entertainment industry. You know, it's surpassed film and television. I mean it helps that games, you know, cost 60, $70, obviously like that equates, equates to the, you know, the total numbers. But I think because games are so in the present or in the public eye now that people are starting to 
ask that question because you know they yeah. see they see this meeting you know and i think it a lot of it has to come from like the older generations they see something and you know to them when they were younger a video game was the the nes which was a very was viewed as a kid's toy more or less i mean that was the general consensus i mean in nintendo understood that that's why they included rob the robot and the nes zapper as part of their introduction to the west with getting it trying to get it you know sales going you know the older generation views this product as one thing and then you have younger generations like who have been raised on it <clears throat> and they've seen the industry grow and more and more game you know games are getting more complex they're getting more intricate they're getting larger and larger in scope you know visually speaking or mechanics wise or you know ideas or what have you <clears throat> i think that's why the the question is now so present um i the reason why I think that they lean into the yes category, because for me personally, because, you know, I've, I've played games for pretty much the better part of my life. You know, they've been the medium in which I've invested so much time into, you know, I find, I find the, the medium so engaging to me as a person because to have a medium that is solely driven by your inputs, I think creates a cavalcade of potentials and possibilities that you can create and explore that potentially other mediums couldn't do. Now, obviously I'm, you know, I haven't seen every movie. I haven't seen every show. I have listened to every album or read every book. But I feel like games allow me to, and I, I feel like a lot of people, they allow people to get into spaces or uh, worlds or stories or just straight up scenarios that are solely possible in the medium of games. Like, I think an easy one for me to sort of point to is the Final Fantasy franchise, just because for one it's like the gold standard in the in the role-playing genre you know everyone has played probably or everyone knows of somebody or they just simply know the franchise itself it's one of the biggest franchises in the world you know when when a new final fantasy comes out people pay attention sort of thing and every entry in the franchise does something different normally it's with the story and the world and the characters they're all new you know there's no connective tissue with final fantasy except for like elements like chocobos and the money being gill and uh you know other sort of superfluous like set dressing sort of things but each game explores a different story that is you know possible because of the medium games i mean i go to final fantasy 7 because that's the one i have sort of the most personal history and connection to and the fact that that game you know you you go on this globe-trotting large-scale adventure where you are dealing with cataclysmic sort of ideas such as you know the planet earth being alive and 
you know, sort of galactic forces trying to destroy the world and genetic cloning and, uh, you know, in, you know, memory loss, you know, putting on a sort of character's perceived notions of themselves onto the, onto the character, like onto the player, <laughs> like cloud, you know, the main character of final fantasy seven cloud, he is a great representation of the player himself, like yourself. He thinks he's the greatest. He's going to save the world. He's the greatest soldier on the planet, and he's a badass, and he doesn't, you know, that sort of thing. But you learn that he is very much like you in the sense that you're you're not on the same level as the ultimate bad guy, evil force, Sephiroth. You actually are just some scrub. You're a no name, nobody, and all the things you thought about yourself are fake memories implanted onto yourself because your best friend die tragically in your in your hands and you suddenly have a sort of split personality moment and you attribute these sort of memories onto yourself i think cloud's journey very much reflects that journey that you as a player go on and i think that's something only games could do because you're on this 30 40 50 hour journey with this character and these you know party members i think only games could could do the thing that final fantasy 7 does and i don't think other mediums could get that same feeling you know and i could you know and i could go into more sort of like less nebulous game like final fantasy 7 i could think of like devil may cry 3 which is about you trying to rise up and defeat your twin brother and prove that you are able to save the world it's a simple concept on paper and you've seen movies and all that stuff does, but the fact that you are engaging with this scenario in your hands and you have to master mechanics, you have to master how things work in order to progress, get better, get stronger. It's like the actualization of play. It kind of transcends just like a simple story into something that only a game could do, putting it in your hands and you are controlling things. You're controlling your destiny I think is another element of like games, their unique potential. And, you know, those are just two examples that come to my head, right off the top of my head. I think it's, <laughs> it's hard to nail down what makes games special, I guess, you know, games are such a new medium. They're a unique medium. They, have a lot there's so many different ways to interact with a game and when you try to pin down one thing it's like well this game does a little thing differently and well isn't this art or this game does this idea and it's a little it's different from this other one is that art like it becomes this very rolling snowball effect where it's like trying to keep track of what makes games art becomes like uh, like a labyrinth puzzle like you just you kind of get trapped within yourself trying to understand it all hopefully this is all making sense uh it's uh it's a, it's a very difficult i question i guess to fully well, nail down it is difficult and it's sort of like i mean i see you know there's so many elements of like hmm <clears throat> It's a very tricky conversation. Yeah. Because on, on paper, um, uh, there's this, there's a lot of 
points to be made. Like the question I would have for you, what I see a lot of in these conversations about gaming is like you say, well, in this game, what you have to do is you have to learn how to recreate mm-hmm. the world and you have to defeat your brother. You know, I I get that on paper. Yeah. You're undergoing a, you know, you're like on paper, it's you are the protagonist mm-hmm. of a movie that has been set for you. Now, it must be said that the inputs are not from you. Like yes. necessarily. They're 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 from the creator. Yes. Um, there is an illusion of free will, mm-hmm. which ultimately is an illusion, which you could say is a very accurate uh depiction of real life, where free will, most mm-hmm. people believe, most philosophers, is an illusion. That 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 we have the illusion that we're making choices, but in fact, the the uh, the choices we are making have already been narrowed down for us by forces greater than our forces beyond us. Mm-hmm. And there's all this debate. So there's actually a lot of you know, this is again, this shows you about the religion aspect of it, because there's yes. all these like crossover debates. Um, mm-hmm. There's all this similarity. But I would ask you, like, you know, has a game changed you? in a tangible way, in the sense, like, not your character in the game, where like, you know, the thing that always gets me, the thing that never pulls me in, I know we were talking about Disco Elysium, or Elysium, however you pronounce it, yeah, earlier, um, which is like, tries really hard to be a literary game, um, yes. very hard, like, you can choose so many characteristics that are very, like, in, you know, intellectual, intellectually kind of delineated, um, you can choose whether you're, you know, between empathy and logic and this, that, like they have it pretty, you know, in a pretty like semi-sophisticated way charted out. But the thing with me, and I mean, I made choices with some, like with some sense of commitment. Uh, I don't remember what I chose, but I, part of it was that I just want to have the most interesting game. That's Mm -hmm. part of the thing that this is part of the, the force that contradicts in, in the art conversation, which is you're not really doing what you would do in real life. You're doing something that's going to make for the funnest game. Um, and that's the part, that's the part that I think is always, is always undermining the, like the graver consequences of what you do. Cause like in this game where we were, you know, the, the example in Bioshock, which we haven't started with yet, it's a, it's a good example. Um, which is, mm-hmm. do you, the one choice you really have to make is do you rescue the girls or do you harvest, harvest them? them? Right. Yes. It's, it's, and as the guy, and I saw, I saw the guys, one of the, one of the, the document at the, uh, uh, director's commentary reels. And he was talking about how he wishes he had the time or whatever he wanted in retrospect to make the, the reward for saving them to be much less so that you really are facing this decision between being a good person and and being a uh a commodifier greedy person yeah and really facing the you know with real rewards for being the com- commodifier versus like what it turned out to be is you don't really need to fucking harvest them because you can get just enough of yeah. the shit from saving them yeah and that comes across as and, that, and that's a thing that's very tricky for games is that the game, like there's this notion of the game has to be fun. Like it has, to, yeah. it has to be fun in order for it to be good. And that thing you were specifically mentioning comes across as someone play test the game and said, this isn't fair. 
sort of thing. Like it, this wasn't right. fun to me. And so they panicked and they're like, okay, we got to make it a little bit better. That's, and, I, and therein lies the problem, yeah. right? Like that's what, that's where you like, immediately the alarm bell goes off and you go, well, this is why we still Games don't have a game. We can all point to and say, it, this is definitely art. I mean, we can all make elaborate personal mm -hmm. arguments for games that we are enchanted with. And, you know, we grew up by Zelda, my family. I love Zelda, Twin Peaks. I love all these things I can say about Zelda that I absolutely adore. Um, and I think Zelda has a good argument to make, by the way. Like, I, I, it, I it would be mm -hmm. certainly that would, that would be my entry into the into the conversation simply because of how it it creates so much of its own world yet is channels into the real world somehow it, yeah. because you know i think we discussed why so it has a good argument to make you also have this you also have this very interesting thing where the games that people most uh uh, the games that last the longest are not the are not these elaborate ass games. Mostly, yeah. they're like the simple the simple eight bit games are the ones people are like pining for thirty years later. The simple yeah. Donkey Kong Country, uh, you know Mario, all like they're the, there's something about the fundamental gameplay that ma seems to matter most about a game over mm -hmm. the ambitions of the story or yeah. the world or the bric a brac, and that's another telling thing. It's kind of like how you know. It's kind of like how with with a lot of times with with literature uh there the a lot of the the simpler achievements outlast the the more you know ambitious complicated achievements um so it's it's hard it's a hard thing to kind of it's a hard co conversation to have because what i would do okay this is a good example like with bioshock if you mm -hmm. wanted if the game wanted to be art yes it would have all been about this question about harvesting versus not harvesting and it would have been designed every step of the way because right it's because it's it's not even even if he changed the stakes it's mm -hmm. like such an incidental part of the game i mean it's yeah. such it, a minor part of the game yeah and it, it plays itself to be bigger because i mean the, the the little sister choices dictate the endings you get one of the three endings you get it's but in in the grand scape the scope of Bioshock, it's very minor. It's it's like a it's uh it's like getting a like a detour sign saying like well if exactly this and the I'm glad you make this point because it, this is the one hurdle that games have struggled to get with. But I think with the game's art as question, I think that is the one thing that will always make people say, well, every game that people point to is fun to play at the end of it. You know, that, you know, game games need to be punishingly hard. And I, the three games that came to mind that to almost everyone, including me at points are not fun. And I still love them to bits. I think of persona three, Metal Gear solid four and the last of us part two. Um, Persona 3 is I've heard a, about Last of Us. Yeah. yeah, I'll get to it, but so Persona yeah. 3 is a hundred plus hour game where you have to micromanage the relationships of high school students and go through a dungeon that is randomly generated that you have no control over. You have no control over your party members. Uh, and it's the same thing repeated over and over and over again for basically a hundred hours. That does not sound fun, and it's not fun. I would never tell someone. Oh yeah, Persona 3 is fun in the traditional sense, but 
Persona 3 for me had a genuine impact on my life because it feels like the sort of repetitious aspect of life, doing the mundane things and all this stuff, while the game is trying to come across this broad and very large concept of death. The game is all about death. The game is about how do you confront the fact that you know people die and people want to die. Like, how do you confront that? How do you, how do these characters confront their daily lives? The fact that like their mom died or, you know, heck you have a dog as a party member and the dog's owner died. Like, how do you process that in a game that is so like mind numbingly repetitious to the point where I guarantee you so many people stopped playing because it was so painful to get through. But for me, that game genuinely made me change my perspective on life is that, you know, you live your life for the moment. You can't be afraid of things going forward and you have to take risks. You have to do what is right happening right now. And I, I genuinely, I, I get a, a little bit emotional thinking about that game because it is genuinely one of the most moving experiences I had. And yet it is painful to play. It is a one of the most hard games to play through. And I almost say, like, don't play it because you will hate it. But I that's think... Really, it, well, that's... Yeah, it, I mean, it, that's, that would qualify. Fuck. Yeah, the next one, Metal Gear Solid 4, because you know me. I'm a I'm Metal Gear Solid fan to the core of my being. I'm a Hideo Kojima fan to the core of my being. Metal Gear Solid 4 is more movie than game. On paper, that should not make sense. Some of these cutscenes, now granted, you know, I've seen movies that are, you know, multi hours long, but in a game, a cutscene usually lasts like what, five minutes at most. Metal Gear Solid 4 has cutscenes that last 70 minutes. You have scenes where you can't have no input and you have to hear these characters talk about military mumbo jumbo that makes no sense to anybody except for Hideo Kojima. And they are rattling about the consequences of war and all this stuff. And it is, you have this sort of like extremely painful, extremely not in your, I mean, the, you know, the one thing that you could argue against Metal Gear Solid 4 is you can skip the cutscenes. But the fact that the game is so dedicated to one thing when people want the stealth gameplay, they want the fun game, but you have to like sit through the story to get to it. And the story will make you wait 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes to get what you want is painful. No one likes Metal Gear Solid 4. I'm like the only one who does. It has the same impact of me in terms of its story about, again, Solid Snake facing his mortality. The fact that he's been a soldier of war and he has to, you know, again, learn, you know, same sort of message of Persona 3 because I played both of them right around the same time. And then The Last of Us 2, because I, I mentioned it on an earlier episode of the show, Last of Us 2 is a torture simulator. It is a, you are faced with the most grisly, realistic murders that you have to commit in order to progress the game. No one wants that. No one wants to endure that. No one wants this. All the characters are angry, bitter, and hateful. And all this stuff. And you have to sit through 20 hours of this. The most, like, live leak simulator game in order to get through this game and if you were on twitter like i was in 2020 when the game came out 
<laughs> when everyone despised that game with you know all the you know fire in their soul like i would say last of us 2 is an example of it you know but these are just examples i can think of um i'm sure that other people have other examples that they can point to too i mean uh zach was mentioning last episode about red dead 2 a game that is all based around controlling and managing your little tamagotchi cowboy when all you want to do is like live the sort of john wayne action movie thing and you have to like micromanage his food intake you have to cut his hair you have to clean your horse do all this like little things that are boring and yet it has a lasting impact (laughs) it's Games are hard to talk about when you're trying to start talk about this nebulous thing, huh? Ain't it? <laughs> it is. No, I mean, I, and again, you have the ability to you can you're citing examples that would that that would you know check the boxes for me if they if if I could be convinced that I mean they check the boxes for you. These are artistic experiences you're describing, and the fact that you had to endure death. And then the question, I mean, you had to deal with like, you know, coming to terms with death through a game is great. The question then becomes, you know, did you, did you endure it only because like the six is as a, as a, like that, that sounds like an artistic attempt was made um, by the, by the game maker. And the question is, did it work on you because you're a gamer that will never give up and that will out of sheer novelty, sit through anything and you know let it let it let it kind of overtake you um like did it work because you because you're special in that regard or or does it work on does it work at a more kind of objective level because i do think there's an objective level uh, uh that I mean, art is largely subjective but there's a certain objective level too, layer two and the question would be like you know, it's kind of cheating to say to call something a like to to call something a game, which uh, no one, no every gamer is checking out of, and it's only like some weirdos like us who just sit there through a seventy-minute cutscene, and you know, like mm-hmm. is it, I guess the question then becomes, what is it about the, is this actually a game, or yeah. is it just a movie in the disguise of a game, a novel in the disguise of a game, which is fine, but it's like mm-hmm. it's it doesn't convince me that the game is contributing to the artistic quality is just sort of the vessel, you know, convenient vessel because people buy games. I think in the case of something like Persona 3, it is the medium of the game because only you have control of everything that's within your control in the game. I mean, in a standard JRPG, you have characters that you can control. Like you have your main character and then three party members that you can like oh, hey, I tell you, defend, all this sort of stuff. Persona 3, you have basically no input on them. And it's like, I feel like, and then you have the social game aspect of it where you have to manage your relationships with people at school or in the town to sort of bond with them so that it can, you know, help you get through the game. And I feel like in Persona 3's case, at least... I think this could only work in a game because of the fact you have to sit through it and you have to make decisions. You have to make the choice because the game takes place over a year. You know, grant, you know, it takes a hundred hours, but like 
you start in March in the game world and you end the game on January in January. And you have to go through each single day making decisions. And that is asking a lot of people, you know, and for a lot of gamers, that is kind of a turnoff. You know, later entries in Persona simplified it and they definitely played up the more gamey parts to make it more enjoyable and all this stuff. Meanwhile, Persona 3 feels so harsh and jagged in comparison. You know, it comes from the same wheelhouse as Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne. And Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne is one of the most lonely experiences I've ever played in a game about, you know, creating the world in your own image and, you know, through your own philosophy that you gain through the world. I think Persona 3 having to endure and go through these dungeon battles, having to, you know, play the game that it could only get this message across. I don't think it would, because like Persona 3 is an interesting case where they adapted it into a movie. It works as a fan, but I don't think it works as a movie. I think Mm -hmm. you need that playable 100 hours to get what it's trying to get across. You know? Right. Uh, you know, Persona has, as a franchise, because it's a kind of a semi-big franchise now, you know, they have, like, manga adaptations, they have TV show adaptations and movie adaptations. They Those versions of it, you feel the cuts, you feel the condensing of it to make it work in those mediums, and it's because mm-hmm. they have to make it work in the other mediums. I just don't think that's where it like that's where my sort of view for it as a game comes from if that makes any sense <laughs> this is mm-hmm. this is deep this is deep gamer deep, deep gamer hours no yeah I, i'm just yeah no i mean i'm glad you're i'm glad i'm getting this out of you because it does that is that this does take us closer to where i can believe in the artistic potential of it uh i certainly don't I certainly don't think that it's impossible mm-hmm. like that a game would be it's not about it's, a, it's not about the impossibility yeah it's simply show me the way show me yeah. the example show me the give me the model for how the gaming itself can mm-hmm. produce an artistic experience uh beyond just an entertaining experience beyond even just a religion beyond the religious experience like yeah. we i'm convinced on religion on the religious yeah. aspect of it and totally I, yeah i get um, that it's I just don't, you know, I've never felt other than, as I say, other than I described the Zelda kind of overall Zelda effect on my life as a Mm -hmm. child, I've never felt like after I've played a zillion hours of a game, I have my, I am spiritually nourished the way Mm -hmm. I feel after experiencing any work of art, Um, any work of art, like even a fucking, you know, even the most, even, even TV, which is the most um iffy like well at the end of a at the end of a great movie at the end of a great tv show whatever there's a feeling you have of like you feel somehow elevated spiritually in the most whatever way it is whether it's through joy whether it's through sadness whether it's through enlightenment whether it's through uh just gore whatever it is there's something there with a game i'm always like well I just powered through that. Mm-hmm. It was fun while it lasted. In some cases, it was stressful. It was not whatever. But like now, I'm like, oh my god, where did the time go? 
Yeah. But I never feel that way about a novel or anything like that. Yeah. It's just not, it's not the same, doesn't produce the same feeling. So, you know, if I went through a game, as you're describing, with, what was it, Persona, the, 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 Persona the 3. One. Persona, Persona 3. 3. If I went through a game and it was like I, I, I had been through a trip where I have come to terms with, to some artistic degree, grappled with the concept of death in a serious way, mm-hmm. then I would have, there's no, hands down, that's a work of art. There's no... There's no uh, debate on that. The, the, the yeah. case closed. If that's if that is true, you know, and it could and it, and, and I'm not I'm not discounting it at all. You know, like about ten years ago, twelve years ago, whatever, there was an article in the Atlantic Monthly. I'm sure I can find it if I search it. It was a long argument making the case that games are absolutely being overlooked as art. That they will eventually be the greatest form of art ever, and yada yada yada. Yeah, as I recall, and the big example he used was that you know. The big the model he used for that was that was like an interactive play where you would be a character and and there was a game that was like this there was a game at the time a very simple like one you could get for free online where you would be it was like being in a who's afraid of virginia wolf type play mm-hmm. but you decide what to say to people you literally type in yeah i think you could literally type in any dialogue you want and there were so many uh, you know, their reactions and the plot would develop according to how you treated people, how you talked to people and what you said. And there was a plot to develop and it could go all these different ways. It was like a choose, you know, it was like a, you create the outcome each step of the way. And he was just saying, this is a very beta version. Imagine this times a million as inevitably will be possible. Although I haven't seen it happen in the last 13 years, yeah. uh, but inevitably you could imagine it being possible that you would be you would imagine that you being a character in a play that literally you know just like you're the character and everything you say affects the play yeah affects the plot and you know but yet but also within the a certain authorial vision still um and and so he you know it's a long argument i'm like and all these years have passed and i'm and i'm like i don't haven't seen anyone suggest that that such a thing has uh, evolved into something viable, and and not only that, but it seems like everyone really misses just the simple ass games that you could be have fun and be a kid with. Um, yeah. and so that's why I was, you know, and of course, I thought of this question too as it relates to Bioshock and whether you know comparing Bioshock to its influence on Rand, it's not even close. I don't mm-hmm. think, um, even though Bioshock is an extremely popular game. That's yes. everyone seems to have played. Yes. It's the question really, I feel like it only really, this whole question really only got its going because of the fact that games visually have been getting better. So suddenly now people have to like pay attention to these games with visuals and that suddenly are now bordering on realism. You know, suddenly now people are like, oh, okay, like now games are being, you know, they're serious. They're wanting to be, you know, just like the, you know, the other mediums. They want to be delivering experience on par with Hollywood where they have the budgets of a Hollywood film. I mean, some games have like budgets of $250 million, $300 million. You know, they have gargantuan budgets and so suddenly like that's why i think this argument kind of took place is like the general populace is now like looking at games and they're seeing this sort of like the visual reality of what they stand now 
And I think the old, I, I, I feel like this comes down to is the medium is relatively young. You know, the, the concept of a game as we know today has only been around for like 40 ish years. And it was a medium that had no rules and they had to sort of go about it in what way they could try to make money in a way they had to make units. So it's like, we have to make something fun. We have to make something engaging in order for people to click with it. That way our company can make money. That way we can make more movie or make more games and all that sort of stuff. So now we're at a point with the industry where a lot of like indie developers are suddenly, you know, a lot of like, I think this artistic stuff also applies to like these small projects you know, the, there was the birth in the mid 2000s of the indie game movement, where suddenly you have these games me being made from like five people, four, three, two, or even just one person is making a game and they're trying to make a statement. So like now it becomes even more like, okay, like there's such a monumental layer to like, there's so many layers to it trying to unpack it because the the like you've been saying the desire for fun will always be like that nagging little like question in the back of people's minds that something always has to be fun in order for it to be good but is that really an artistic thing you know i think games have to strive for something that is unique in order to be a artistic statement i think they have to be willing to make a game like whether it be gameplay has to be different like you said with the play the play, the game with about you know being a play character you know you have to be willing to do something that people don't understand or will not click with immediately like i think of death stranding i'm you know i don't know if you've heard of that one um, no, I have. That's the one I haven't heard of. I've that, heard of Last of Us Two a lot. Yeah, or Last, Last of Us. Yeah, Last of Us Two, I think, is a great case for it too. But like Death Stranding, it's another Kojima game, and people hated it because it is quote boring because all you do is walk around. You're a delivery boy. That's the mm -hmm. entire game is you are a post-apocalyptic UPS delivery guy, and you have to endure like, oh hey. If I walk on this rock that is this much higher from the ground, I might trip and fall and damage my cargo. Or I have to cross this, this little stream. Oh, hey, the stream has a strong current. I have to find a way to get across this stream or river. And if I fuck up, I'm going to like ruin my chances of getting a good score. Most people hated that. Most people derided it, saying it was boring or it was there was nothing going on. But to me, like Death Stranding is another example of a great artistic game because he Kojima literally turned the concept of walking into something larger. You know, I mean, I'll get to Death Stranding in the you know in the months to come. I don't want to like spill my beans just yet on that, but. I guess what, you know, trying to wrap this whole thing up, I think 
because this does tech go into Bioshock because Bioshock was one of the first instances of people saying games are art. Um, games need to be willing to be not fun at the same time. But I think, you know, the, the beauty of games is that you can do almost whatever you want in the, and it's unique by the fact that it is control is driven by input. And I think, you know, that's where I find this medium so fascinating is that you can have, I mean, granted, I, I hate this game in the sense of like the premise. Cause you play as like some housemaid in the Cuban revolution, but like that is a game you play as a housemaid in like the 60 mm -hmm. in like fifties Cuba. And that's the entire game. Or there's, there's like this derided genre called the walking simulator where it is all about walking and interacting with a like a house and that is it or i think of there is a game called flower where you play as a flower petal and that is it and you you just ride the gust of wind as a flower petal that's it you know i think by nature of the fact that games are input driven and all that sort of stuff, I think the medium is just fascinating for me. And I will try my best to continue to decipher this question as best I can. But I think that or you were going to say something, sorry. No, it's, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm open to, uh, I'm open to examples and ideas. And, um, you know, I, I personally, because I don't trust the medium artistically, I would favor fun in my yeah. game choices. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I had a great time playing South Park, like Stick of Truth and the, the two South Park games. I had a great time and it felt like, you know, it wasn't, it was like, it was just like the fun of South Park, but with game elements. And, and, and I liked that board gamey style of playing. It was easy for my brain and there was a lot of jokes and stuff and cute, funny things. It's just like, it was a fun, it's a fun thing that nobody that that you know nobody would I think connect to the best South Park episodes that were so relevant as satire um, necessarily, but you could see it you could see it resembling that. It's just that they have to lean into the fun to yeah. make a game that sells a billion enough yeah. copies to make up for how much it costs to make it. Yeah, it it the fun question will always be the sort of like you know the devil on the shoulder for games. And yeah, I mean, it will always sort of loom over the industry as like, you know, the big hurdle. And you, it, there is such a divided camp of people that will say, because they have to be fun, then no. But if, you know, games don't have to be fun, therefore, yes, like that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean... I think, honestly, I think this is a good place to transition into the game of tonight, which is uh, Bioshock. I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. 
instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose... Rapture. artist would not fear the censor, where the scientist would not be bound by petty morality, where the great would not be constrained by the small. And with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well. He's watered up, watered up. <laughs> fitting for the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Bioshock is a game from 2007, uh, August 21st, 2007. Uh, it comes from uh, 2K Boston, uh, which was formerly known and uh, which was formerly known as Irrational Games. Uh they rebranded to 2K Boston uh, when they sort of pitched the idea of Bioshock to 2K games. Uh, it is a soft re it's essentially like a spiritual successor to a game called System Shock 2 from the 90s, which is a game no one has played, even though they will say that they have played it because they played Bioshock and want to be cool. But the point being is Bioshock is like sort of a re-attempt by the developers to do this sort of idea that System Shock 2 had. Uh, it was originally on the Xbox 360 and Windows PC, eventually came off for PS3, and then was recently remastered in the Bioshock collection, which you played as well. I played in my replay through of it. Uh, mm -hmm. It... It is a game that most people have played. I mean, I feel like it's it's in it, which is a weird thing to me because like Bioshock is so different from what was popular at the time, which was Call of Duty. Modern, I mean, granted, Call of Duty is still popular now, but you know the the military shooter was becoming sort of the big genre in terms of making money. So suddenly now you have this sort of survival horror exploratory first person shooter that's got sci-fi elements set in 1960 and you can shoot lightning bolts out of your hand and you can use a tommy gun like it does not make sense that this was as big as a hit as it was on paper um this game is was one of the first times that I was exposed to the as we were talking about earlier the sort of idea that games are art uh, 
which I think is mostly due to the fact that this game is heavily inspired by Ayn Rand, you know, specifically Atlas Shrugged, uh, among other things, you know, the game was inspired by, you know, Brave New World, you know, uh, John Rockefeller's Life, uh, like movies like Logan's Run was an inspiration. It was one of the first public instances of like the populace thinking like, oh, wow, this is an artistic game because it's so different on the surface. And, you know, this is the, the first episode, the first guest that I was able to convince to play a game because uh, Armenian is, you know, the foremost expert in Ayn Rand that I know. Uh, so I was like, I'll make him play the Rand game. Uh, <laughs> which on paper I knew that you were not going to like enjoy or think that what they did with the Rand stuff was great but I I figured at the least you would enjoy the sort of aesthetics of this because it definitely fits in line with your show you know the very the art deco is dripping everywhere the old school ads you know all this you know the fact that you can smoke cigarettes in the game you can you know drink uh, whiskey and get drunk you know just as a little kick uh, but all just like the the music the world and, and all that stuff I figured you at the least you would enjoy that part of it you know as someone who's only heard about it in passing so I want to know what are your thoughts about Bioshock so it was a super enchanting game. Um, I love the world. I loved the. I loved just being in the in this like nineteen uh, vaguely nineteen forties uh, underground. It didn't even matter that it was underground because I like the 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 the, the music. The the uh, as you say, art deco. I love the save screen. I mean the the. I love the uh, pause screen with mm -hmm. the two. Um, project you know like that yeah. art deco kind of silhouette of the skyline beautiful yeah. um yeah it takes me to a place a, a very enchanting very noirish too by the way i mean the mm -hmm. the the given the time period the music and the um the the affected voices of everyone the mid-atlantic accents um it's a very like old hollywood cinematic vision very actually faithful to Ayn Rand's aesthetic um, mm -hmm. in, in that in that respect. The story is it's 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 cute. It's cute. There's a lot of there's a lot of very accurate. You know, I like the voices. I like the um, I like the over the top. Um, I like the speech speechifying. I like the over the top moralistic announcements and uh, and commandments it gets very close to being a very clever spin-off of a you know take on Ayn Rand of course it's a it's a it's a highly critical um depiction of her worldview and the, yes. the entire the entire thing it's and it's, what's funny to me is that they hadn't even read Atlas Shrugged see I thought it was a I thought it was a uh adaptation it was a, adaptation of Atlas Shrugged but they hadn't even read Atlas Shrugged they just read The Fountainhead and yeah. according to the director's commentary, they were just like inspired. They were just like basing everyone off of Ayn Rand's overall tone and voice, yeah, um, kind of thing. And so that's why there you don't look too don't look spe too specifically for any actual 
characters. Um, specific, yeah, one-on-one characters. There aren't any. There are, they're not, there are no, they didn't go that far. They just went with uh, some kind of vague themes and then, and voices and, and of course, you know, most of which turn out to be a caricature of her ideas. Um, they do have some very, you know, good Ayn Rand that could have been almost quoting her for verbatim about parasites and. Uh, you know, yeah, Rand I love that. And, <laughs> Andrew yeah, Ryan there's some is really so good. good. Andrew Ryan yeah, is amazing, uh, but I, I am curious because this game came out in 2007, and you know, you know so much about her and sort of the consensus about her, and you know. I've only read the Fountainhead, so I and I don't know the sort of like timeline, as it were, of like people's takes on her. I mean, granted, I know most people just you know they you know they scoff at her or whatever you know the typical take, so as it were. I wasn't sure if like in two thousand seven, like if the sort of you know one little voice was starting to like sprout. I mean, it it's unique that a game was inspired by her because I can't really think of other games that even then and especially now like would even want to do this like I feel like the game was more inspired by her at the beginning because of her you know the visuals attached to her herself you know Art Deco the Atlas statue at you know in New York City these sort of, you know, you know, of that period time, the late 40s, all that stuff, Chrysler building, you know, you name it. I wasn't sure if like in 2007, like, you know, this is what's like when people were getting bold with, you know, their takes on her. Uh, I don't know if you have any personal memories of that, like 2007. It came out in 2007. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was basically... She had a revival in in the 90s, um, like the post-Soviet 90s when capitalism had won. Her idea, her books became, there was a kind of a surge of repopularity in her books. I mean, she, her books had always been popular, but there was a definitely a, a, mm -hmm. a roaring uh, revival that began in the 90s. Um, I mean, her books were being read in high schools. Uh, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of the, with the kind of Republican takeover of Congress and stuff it came back and then with the Tea Party mm -hmm. it had another another revival because she was kind of uh, this this floating you know influence on the Tea Party as many people perceived it which she was mm -hmm. um, but that was like a, yet another like newsy news return and it was around two thousand and seven that two biographies of her were published 2006, 2007. So she was really being, you know, she was taking, she was being taken seriously mm -hmm. as a result of, as a result of Liptards being afraid of right wingers and conservatives. Uh, she was being taken seriously kind of as on a national scale um, in, in, in the two thousands, very much so. Um, and so, and, and, and as I say, that started in the nineties, but it, it kind of really, was cemented with the, the Tea Party in the 2000s. Okay. Um, so she, it makes a lot of sense that she was, you know, she was hovering over the 2000s and Libtards 
since many of them really did read the fountain, like I remember it was very common back then. Now, nowadays, nobody reads anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but back then it was very common to find people, just random ass people who had read the fountainhead in high school, mm-hmm. not even because it was assigned. I mean, maybe sometimes it was in my, in my world, what was assigned was all I was assigned was Anthem, which is a very thin novella, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, which I had in 10th grade, but that's, that did open the doors because then, then I got from it was it was because I was assigned the same teacher told me to about capitalism the unknown ideal and that's what set me off on my rand quest mm-hmm. but um, it was very it was more common than you think like she was still like the best selling novelist every fucking year okay uh, bef- uh, like before Harry Potter she would uh, there was something like she was selling it's like almost as much as the Bible I mean it was crazy she's mm-hmm. one of the top selling novelists year after year after year after year after year yeah and and. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. It, it's all very, it, it's, it's, is a very, this captures a very specific, fearful, uh, libtarded, yet also in this case, transfixed, because it's obvious that this guy, lo- that the creators of this game yeah. loved the fountainhead. They loved the fountainhead, but because they're lip- libs, they're afraid of it. And they're, they have to signal how bad it is. And that this is a very common thing among people of a certain, you know, um, a certain caste and a certain uh, mm-hmm. intellectual kind of like milieu and society is that they have read it. It's made a huge impression on them in many cases of, you know, mostly a positive, very positive one because they read it when they were young and innocent, usually. But they were told. And then it's. They were told and they were trained to see it as evil or they were already kind of, you know, or they were, they were already pre- prepped for that um, and they instantly had to rationalize all the good things about it into dangerous things um, or, you know, have or at, at, at best, at best, have a, a condescending perch toward her. It's a very rare lib that you find. And I found them. I mean, David Thompson is one of them. The, the film, film critic that I've had on my show, my favorite film writer of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, uh, it seems like the music, the famous old music critic, Creel Marcus is, a, it was another major Berkeley lib. I've seen him quote Ayn Rand like it mm-hmm. for nine 11. And I was like, Oh, well, if, if you're able to, if you're able to appreciate Ayn Rand, despite being a lib, as the force that she was, then you then you're operating, then you know what you're talking about, because then you are experiencing life at the artistic level. And you're not, you're not getting caught up in your standard issue, left liberal politics. It's a it's a it's a very useful, mm-hmm. uh, like, like barometer in that respect, Ayn Rand, and it's the same with conservatives, by the way, because conservatives also dismiss her all the time. Um, and, and snobs dismiss her all the time. Mm-hmm. as being kind of this you know as being like a kiddie pool type of writer yeah. um it's a common thing and so this is a very almost cartoonishly this is almost it begins or it's it set it's designed as like this cartoonishly dystopian upside down view of her world where i i had perceived this as being galt's gulch gone wrong galt's gulch is the is yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, Atlas Shrugged. In Atlas Shrugged, that is this you kind of the escape community that all the brilliant people who have retired, who have gone on strike in the world where they have been living and working and creating. 
in, it's in Colorado and it's not underground or anything, but this mm-hmm. seemed to be like, as if like John Galt's society had, you know, taken to the logical extreme of selfishness and yeah. commodification and yada, 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 which is again, missing the entire point of Ayn Rand because there is, that's not what, you know, her, her idea is not about commodifying everything in your life um it's just that's how the lib sees her ideas to be um so you have this and you see him you know anytime you anytime you hear the word empathy you know that there is a bloodbath coming right so (laughs) that's the word that is that that's the signal that a bloodbath is coming and that is the word that is used by the creators of this game as like well you know ayn rand is ayn rand is depicting a world in which your only value is how much you work and how how much physical value you create then that's it that's that's how they see her vision and so the central moral dilemma in this game is do you harvest or do you uh rescue these save these girls so are you going to do the randian thing and just maximize your profits or are you going to be a little leech a parasite a liberal <laughs> fool sacrificing your own self-interest to save some little urchin of no value. Mm-hmm. So that's the central Fakakta dilemma in this game. And yeah. and so it's all very cute and you know charming. And I and I look, there's a character in there, the artsy character Sandy Cohen. All the names are very Randian names. Yeah. Um Sa- Sandra you know, Cohen, Andrew Ryan. I mean Andrew Ryan, like <laughs> Andrew Ryan. Uh, uh Frank Fontaine, you know, Frank Fontaine, even like the Suchong, even yeah. like the Asian one. <laughs> yeah, they're all very, they're all good Art Deco names. Um, so, you know, good points on that. Good points on all the aesthetics, the voices, the performances, all great. Yeah. Um, in fact, at one point, it was Atlas or Andrew Ryan starts reminding me of Raul Julia in Adam's Family. Uh, if you if you've ever played the Adams Family video, uh, pinball game, my favorite, pin, the best pinball game of all time, for which Aral Julia did his own did extra voices for that, where he goes, where he does says things like, uh, you know, um, well played thing, that's the thing. <laughs> it's like it just really it sounds exactly like when Andrew Andrew Ryan is like screaming and stuff. Um, uh, so yeah, you'll you'll definitely get those vibes when. Yeah. Um, you play you ever played the Adams Family pinball game, but um, yeah, I loved everything <laughs> like that. I loved all this shit. I loved all the. I like. I liked exploring. It was the, the beautiful beds, the frolic Fort Frolic, and I liked the the aesthetics of the of the game a lot. And they're very, I think, true to Rand's romantic realism. Um, and you know, interestingly enough, it is sort of the the plot takes on a pro randian twist at the end yeah in a uh, way you know yeah, which is uh, interesting yeah okay i'll get in a bit so like you know bioshock sets up you you're a guy named jack who his plane crashes in the middle of the atlantic ocean and he gets to a lighthouse as it's the only thing in the middle of the ocean everyone's died except for him so he gets into the lighthouse and he sees you know that giant bronze statue of Andrew Ryan uh, saying no gods or kings. I think it's only men. And, you know, that's your sort of intro. And then you get into the bathosphere, you know, those floating submarines and you get that. Honestly, I, I always think about that little movie uh, 
that Andrew Ryan delivers as you descend down into the city. You know, so I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected these answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. Uh, I I don't know how you felt about it, but like when I played this, you know, almost like, you know, 15 years ago, I was like, this is the greatest opening I've ever seen. And it, it like, it sells you immediately on everything. And, you know, granted, I had not read Rand at that time, but I was like you, I was immediately hooked in with this sort of art deco city that is just you know lovingly coded in every bit of just sort of of the period aesthetic to it i mean it's one of the most realized worlds in a game that i have ever played like there's you know there's the audio diaries that you get where you get a glimpse into the town before the civil war happens when it turns the city into dis disarray you know, you have all the environments are cluttered and littered, you know, in various just, you know, trash and everything. And you see, like, sometimes they'll make it so that you like the environment is telling a story itself. I mean, the fact that the game opens, uh, you know, with that introduction and then it throws you into uh, the medical pavilion uh, where you have to. Uh, confront Dr. Steinman, uh, which I I love Dr. Steinman. Like that whole level is fantastic. Being you know introduced to a, a plastic surgeon gone wrong, uh, where you know he wants the absolute perfected you know face and body. Like I love there's like the ads of like, oh yeah, you can just you know ads for his plastic surgery business all draped everywhere. I mean, I. I adore this game on so many levels, just, you know, but I would say as I've, you know, gotten older and I've gotten to understand Rand, it, the story is like the biggest conundrum that faces it. You know, I feel like because the game attached Rand as a figurehead, as an, of inspiration and, as, you know, Ellsworth Tui, one brave voice, one little voice, like you had a game being quote unquote brave enough to say, Oh, well maybe Rand was wrong. Like that was where sort of like that artistic label got slapped onto the game um, because it had such a loving environment and it was, you know, a well-designed game with sort of deeper meanings than just beat bad guy and win the game. Like, I feel like that's where this sort of art merit that got slapped to this game came from but i think yeah, the critique of capitalism <laughs> in, two, in 2007 how daring uh but it's interesting because in the the way that bioshock has been perceived i think by the sort of game gamers is when it came out everyone loved it and then I would say in the back half of the 2010s, people wanted to say how actually Andrew, you know, the game says Andrew Ryan is right. Therefore, it's not good. 
and so people have been trying like the more libtarded gamer crowd has been trying to like push Bioshock as if it like didn't happen, but it did happen. You know, you couldn't go anywhere on the internet back in the day and not see Bioshock everywhere. Like Bioshock yeah. was a large franchise in that time period. I mean, it, it has three games attached to it. It has a direct sequel. It has, you know, infinite tries to sort of, meta comment on itself the bioshock franchise itself you know everyone was obsessed with this game and everyone a good chunk of people don't want, want to pretend that this game didn't happen because they kind of realized that the central critique of the person that they secretly been hating which is ayn rand the game inadvertently created andrew ryan as like actually he was right the whole time it, it it creates this weird disconnect with the game, like yeah. I, I mean, so they, so they so let me get this straight. They're trying to cancel the game because it turns out to be too pro Rand or just yes. too celebratory of Rand. Yes, I would say because like like there's a gaming podcast I listen to time to time, and it's full of just you know proto dirtbag lefties essentially, Ugh. and they they tried to like downplay Bioshock on levels just like, uh, like, you know, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't critique Rand hard enough. It does, you know, this part of the game is really bad designed, you know, uh, the game just, you know, like all these sort of like nasally whiny critiques about basically more or less it's them saying, you know, you know, slamming the desk, like a little child saying, uh, you know, it doesn't go far enough. It, Andrew Ryan, you know, you know, blah blah blah, all this sort of like I'm sure you've heard these critiques, you know, through your life, you know. It's that sort of like uh when they realize like, oh, the game's actually praising Andrew Ryan the whole time and then they can't deal with it. And I feel like also the sequel kind of plays into this too, Bioshock 2, because the main villain in that's like basically a communist. And no one talks about Bioshock 2. Um which is funny, honestly, in hindsight, like they won't talk about the game criticizing like the almighty, all-knowing mother figure communist character. Uh, they just pretend it didn't happen. It <laughs> Bioshock as a franchise is a very people want to like, you know, put distance between them because they like don't like what all these games try to do or like maybe not fully accomplish in their own right. Like, people don't want to sort of talk about Bioshock Infinite because it has a lot of, like, racism stuff and racist, you know, racist imagery, you know, in the 20, in the 2010s revisionist history, like, if a game that came out today had all the stuff that Infinite had, uh, it would be called for a witch, a, a witch trial, basically. Um, right. Even though it's, like, even though the game is, like, saying racism bad, basically, like the fact that it included such extreme things in the sense of like the time and age we live in now, like people want to put it behind them and they'll be like, Oh, the game, you know, just the story doesn't make sense. You know, blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't connect or like, you know, it's just like, it feels like kind of like coping for like games that it's, it's difficult. Like it, Bioshock 
is like they want to do brand, but like they inadvertently created almost like a weird pro brand product. Like, am I It's am just I? like when it's just like when some when when one of these dirtbag leftists tries like QTs does a screenshot QT of a joke that Jack made, which gets super popular because of the joke itself, and and they think they're critiquing it, and it turns out that they're actually just popularizing it because they're the like the the content that makes it interesting was the organic intention of it in the first place yeah and so it's that similar thing like it's an attempt at it's an attempt at i don't mean i don't i don't want to actually impugn the creators because i do think that they were genuinely animated by ayn rand yeah and no, i think that totally it's they deserve credit for like being affected by her to the degree that they took that they like made it you know i i don't say i think that they they legitimately you know they obviously they're lip tart so they don't get her but they legitimately are grappling with the force that she is and they recognize correctly that it's a real force so they use it in the game and that that's triggering to because we know that that the difference between the old older school libs and the modern day lip tart is the modern day lip tart cannot tolerate the existence of something that challenges the uh the very weak existent the very weak presence and composition of the modern day libtard they just yeah. can't handle it they're undeveloped little like creatures they're not even fully human mm-hmm. um they're actually deformed little they're like they're they're these anti-humans mm-hmm. um and they hate anything that is that is more present than they are that is more powerful stronger or in their mind stronger like they're not able even able to conceive of 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 any reason to be stronger apart from being bad in some way and yeah you need to therefore be 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 canceled i mean it's it's a it's like it's not just like this doesn't this didn't come out of nowhere this came out of an entirely malformed uh a uh, generation and sec and like uh, a cast of people mm-hmm. um and so it makes total sense that they tried to cancel this for being too pro rand just by virtue of the rand that it, the fact that it has that it represents her ideas i mean the perfect example is to me it's all appropriation of course um mm-hmm. you're the 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 uh, andrew ryan's opening lines about in moscow they say it belongs to everyone Mm-hmm. uh that's like a verbatim rand i mean that's that's like right out of the ayn rand playbook like that i i thought they might be quoting her directly in fact yeah um in that case because she has said she has passages that are identical to that basically by that passage up you know minus the rupture part so yeah. they're taking her most powerful message and rhetorical power and her rhetorical wizardry and they're using it to uh they're using it to 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 draw you into this the world of this game yeah and like you said it is obvious that they were inspired by her and it affected them deeply i mean no game i i mean as far as i i can think off the top of my head no game before or after has gone to for one even acknowledge her and two to go to these extremes to clearly revere everything that sort of surrounds her like i i i know that they're trying to do the sort of haha aren't we smarter than you know a woman who would you know do circles around us sort of thing but like 
I always got the sense that even if they're trying to critique her, I always felt that they still revered her in a sense like no and like Andrew Ryan as a character is one of my like one of the like most fascinating characters for me in any game like he's genuinely he's the best part about the game and when he le when he dies the game kind of falls apart a little bit in the back in the last like 2 3 hours like you feel it's like when Rand suddenly gets taken out of the equation suddenly like the game kind of just like it buckles on itself yeah you're but just it, like it becomes like just sci-fi kind of whatever game it, which and which comes from the fact that this was a a successor to a cult classic in system shock 2 which follows very similarly the same like both of them very follow, follow the same thing except in system shock 2 instead of andrew ryan it's I, oh my god i forget the name it's like this ai computer that's sort of guiding you through the game but suddenly she flips it on you and suddenly wants you dead uh so they have this sort of moment which the director of the series ken levine he always likes doing that with his games he always likes to challenge the concept of get like the player getting sort of ha like uh I'm trying to find a way to describe this it's like when I think the way he described it is when the game is kind of reinforcing the player's sort of progression and in in any game where it's like it's trying to get you to keep going and going and going. But he likes to toy with that where he has sort of the rug pulled out from under you. You know, System Shock 2 and Bioshock have the same twist where, you know, the main, you know, the character in Bioshock's case, it's Atlas or Fontaine he pulls the rug out of you and turns out actually you were being used the whole time by him to take over rapture. Um, he, he's a fascinating figure in games. He, he strikes me. He's, he always comes off as a perfectionist. He always comes off as a guy wanting to do more in his games. And you see that in his later career, like Bioshock infinite, was in development for like five years and has been noted that they they cut a lot of that game out in the last year to get it to work and heck he's making a game right now that's been in development for almost 10 years and it's been struggling to even be released because he has a specific idea and specific want out of his games and what is the the result with this new game called Judas? It looks like Bioshock again. Like he's he's like self eating his own sort of creation, and in a way, to me, it's like Rand will not escape him, and Rand will always like be in the back of his mind. Uh, it's like kind of a weird like oh she's she's always there and she's always gonna be like watching you, Ken. You tried to be smarter than her, and look what happened to you. Bioshock is now your life. Uh, yeah, you fuck. You try. You fucking entered Galt's Gulch. You're not getting away. You're not gonna. <laughs> you, you tried to besmirch Galt's Gulch. You're not gonna get away with that. I mean, she made a lot of comments about how, like, you know, what she would de deign to do to anyone who tried to fuck with her legacy at all. Like her, you know, mostly we're, we're talking about like her disciples and like the notion of anyone trying to edit her work for their own purposes. 
um, and, you know, especially unfaithfully and especially against her own intentions and everything, you did take on a curse. I 100% <laughs> believe that she is haunting this this motherfucker forever. There's no escape for him. Yeah, it Unless he repents and unless he repents and you know does an ultimate tribute to her, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe in, Judas in, in is going to be. Maybe Judas will be that. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea what that game is, other than you shoot fireballs out of your hand and have a gun in the other hand, uh, and it looks like it's another dystopia. But this time it's in space. Uh, but Bioshock is such a wild little thing because, like you said the story wants to critique her like they want to paint andrew ryan as sort of a tyrant i mean not sort of as a tyrant and to me and i don't know if feel free to chime in if you don't think this is maybe a good point but i feel like because of how the game plays where it is this very liberating and very in your own hands game it almost like the gameplay itself is like re like subtly and almost like subliminally reinforcing her like they they because it, it was stated i think that bioshock's game design was made first and then the sort of world around it came to be uh which definitely feels like the case like the game feels so pristine and so tightly made uh i feel like the game itself by how it's designed like it's telling you in the back of your head, like she was right the whole time sort of thing. I mean, feel free to say if I'm like maybe stretching too far beyond my no own knowledge of her. Um, but I, like the fact that you get eight weapons to choose from, you can pick what plasmid, you know, the basically magic that you can shoot out of your hands. You can pick what plasmid you have. You can pick, you know, this, you know, the physical tonic, the hacking tonic, and, you know, the plasmid tonic, you can pick whatever one you want to suit you as a player. You pick whatever guns you like. You can, you know, you can play aggressively or you can play defensively and set traps or you can set, you know, trap mines or you can set, you know, electric uh, trip wires. You can, you have like guns that have, ammo that's good for piercing armor you have guns that are good against you know regular splicers you have uh, uh you just you have a wrench as a weapon like there's so much there for you to create your own destiny within this world that i feel like the two forces are like literally pro and anti rand and they're at play with each other and i feel like the gameplay wins in the end the gameplay take or the gameplay overshadows what the story is trying to do. I, I mean, you know, feel free to say if that's a little out there. I mean, it's 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 an argument you can make, obviously. Um, to me, I, I mean, you know, to me, there's a deeper there. It's 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 actually it is like very true. It's like you have a lot of individual agency, although, of course, you, you know, you're also you're also clearly the twist in the game is that you're being mind controlled and you're being mind controlled due to due to your, um, your vulnerability to being a good person, which is exactly 
the 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 uh, the tyranny of you know the empire the empathy regime, which is that they manipulate you based on your desire to be a good person into doing bad things um, and into destroying the world and into villainizing the wrong people, especially villainizing you know big you know, forceful people who are who have big strong personalities and who's there and who therefore are villainous to your only to your childish mind but are who are in fact doing what needs to be done in order for anything to be created or last or run on time mm -hmm. so that is the 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 interesting thing is not so much that you know you know we can find we can say well look you're you're um you know i don't know there, it, there's not a very good logical uh, uh landscape here to to the story because you're you know you're on the one hand you have all these choices on the other hand story-wise your objectives are being programmed into you and you're doing what you are told to do you're just choosing how you do it yeah um so to me it's more interesting i mean unless you you know you find it a deeper reason for why these choices are like individualistic like you're creating an individual kind of personality as for yourself. I don't really, I didn't really feel like I was creating a personality. I mean, I just was like, oh, the fire seems to work. This other stuff yeah. seems to be more complicated. Creating dead dummies and then being defensive, that seems to be more complicated. I'd rather just kill the people so I can get to the next thing and hear the next VO and see the, and explore the next room and drink the next whiskey, drink the next coffee, smoke the next cigarette. I, so that's just me. Like, I just want to get it, get the killing part over with. And I want to, and it's going and once I got the hang of things, like it was fun to, you know, it's always fun to kind of figure, but ultimately you're looking for the most efficient way forward yeah, uh, because it's a game. It's the game thing. Again, it's not an artistic thing. It's just, what is the e easiest thing way to get, kill this big daddy, save the girl, move on, uh, get through this. Um, but the interesting part of it is how was in his own, in his own game, how is the creator, what's his name again, the creator's name? Ken Levine. How is Mr. Ken Levine himself guided into a refutation of his own refutation? That's the interesting thing to me, because I, you see this happen time and time and time again in all the history of storytelling and in, and in all history of, of, uh, of art. What you see is somebody who sets out with a certain ideological kind of goal and f finds himself on the opposite side of that goal at the end. It happens over and over again. It happens especially with atheistic literature. Um, there, it happens especially when an atheist or a non-believer attempts to write a novel that takes religion seriously or Christianity seriously, whatever, but you know, from a critical point of view, doesn't necessarily have an idea of it's not is not is not is a good enough artist that he doesn't pursue. He's not being a, writing a tract, but he's trying to take these things seriously. And his point of view is that it's wrong, is that it's false and that it's wrong. And he's going to write about religion. Mm -hmm. uh, a perfect example of this is um, James Woods novel, first novel, whose title I don't remember. But what you find is that because the because the story of Christ is not just a story of Christ, but also like 
every single story after that, every single story we tell is in a certain way the plot, like the standard storytelling technique, the three act structure, the 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 reversal at the end, the resurrection, the the everything. It's like so fundamental. It's like it is the Christ story over and over and over and over again. So what you have is somebody who pursues a certain path, and due to the fact, and due to the mechanics and the technique, and just the reality structure of of how a story operates ends up ends up like uh 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 what's the word i'm looking for ends up ends up kind of um proving the opposite of what he set out to prove and you see this happen here because what what the what's what the demands of the story are because he's ambitious and because he wants to make it like a full story he wants there to be a twist and he wants to, and he wants the hero he wants you to realize that the hero has been deceived and that the moral um all the kind of like you know the the overall sense of like there's a there're the good guys and there's the bad guys and the good guys are the ones trying to rescue uh everyone from this evil tyrannical maniac who's turned whose entire society has become a uh, a, a, a commodity, commodity lab experiment gone wrong and everything's gone to shit for murky reasons that we don't really, you know, they never get yeah. into the reasons, right? No, so, yeah, not really. I mean, it was more or less just in the understanding of the backstory of Rapture, it's like nefarious characters started to take advantage sort of thing. That right. was, who are that the was, characters who take, yeah, right, like, who, who takes advantage? um who takes advantage who takes advantage it's the people who learn how to say would you kindly would you kindly would you kindly would you kindly and it's the people who unlike andrew ryan the man who stands who's who means exactly what he says who who says who who says exactly what he means who is not at all deceptive about his um about his beliefs or his values he's all right i mean correct me if i'm wrong as i recall andrew ryan is the one who never lies right? yeah no i mean he he never he never really lies to you i he mean never lies he the like most of the game he spends when he talks directly to you he's trying to figure out who you are because like right on, on paper he just thinks you're a soviet agent or an fbi agent like but when he's talking about rapture and he's talking about like people like Fontaine, who's the main force against him, he really never lies about the true ulterior motives of, of them or like the people that caused rapture to fall. Like, and I feel like, you know, the sequel almost enforces him even more so just because, now, granted, I didn't get. I wanted to play Bioshock Two just, you know, for fun uh, for this episode. But like the fact that, you know, they they kind of flesh out the sort of before the Civil War of New Year's Eve, nineteen fifty nine. Like you know, you have the sort of communist, uh, you know, Sophia Lamb trying to undermine him. You know, she's like, uh, she sneaked her way in under the guise of, you know, oh, she was being a psychiatrist uh, to the city. Like, 
Bioshock in of itself, it, yeah, I mean, like what you were saying, it's just by trying to undo something in Ken Levine's mind about Rand, he more or less just by nature proves that R Ryan was right. Rand was right. You know, all that sort of thing. And it's interesting too, you brought up the atheist angle too, because uh, Levine is an atheist. Um, right. Of course. He, he's a, he grew up Jewish, but he's an atheist now. I mean, so is Ayn Rand and both, 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 both of those cases. But, mm -hmm. And it's a, some, and it's something you could totally, you know, you could actually turn on her and say that for all her atheism, she has provided the world a kind of um, Christian individualist uh, like model. I mean, it's, there's a reason that it appeals so much to Christians because uh, it like there's, there's a certain, there's a strong correlation despite the fact that, um, you know, there's a strong argument to be made that Christianity is a very selfish religion in the same sense that her, she, she celebrates selfishness. So, she, so like, it's just fascinating to see how people who are in pursuit of, in pursuit of like, you know, a real story and a real, and, and in, a, in a way in pursuit of art and who are taking things seriously enough to try to really like, you know, create like navigate the twists and turns um the the yeah i mean the the, the specifics of the story and the how you felt i don't care like who cares how he fell in that that doesn't matter to us all that matters to us is story-wise is who's the good guy why is yeah. he the why is first of all the question of why did this shit go bad never answered because that would require yeah that would require it, yeah, it makes sense critiquing. just for context too the sequel was not made by this the first team it was made okay. by a, it all the only influence that the original bioshock team had on the sequel was like five people went to help that's all like ken levine was not mm -hmm. attached to it uh it was made by a i think a team in australia part of like the 2k games like worldwide game studio umbrella uh I believe because Ken Levine didn't, I believe in his words, he did not want to make a direct sequel. Uh, but another person in the team who was very instrumental in the gameplay design, he wanted to make a sequel or, you know, something like that. He, he was tasked to make help with the sequel. So, I mean, I think it's very telling that, you know, the original team did not want to flesh out any more ideas because if they were to flesh out more ideas, then it would kind of undermine the first game itself. I mean, it's a, it's really interesting how Bioshock... I mentioned to you beforehand the, that ludonarrative dissonance term, which is a term I normally... I don't like because people use it as a gotcha question. They use it to be like, ha, see, like your game actually is not good. But this term came from a critique of Bioshock itself. And it's coming, you know, basically the points of it are basically what we are saying now. The story and the player's goals do not line up. That is the main crux of the argument. The player, you know, there's the the game wants you to view the sort of like 
save the little sister is the good thing and you want to be the good person, right? But like the gameplay does not really reinforce this because, you know, saving, you know, harvesting or saving the little sisters really is, doesn't change much in terms of like, no. you don't get much difference in Adam, you know, it's whether or not you want to get through the story faster, basically, I would say, because if you save the little sister... How much sis Adam did you get if you harvest him, if you harvested them? I think if you harvest them, you get three or four hundred. And if you save them, it's like two hundred, I think. One hundred yeah, or two hundred. It was definitely two hundred for saving. But I think for harvesting, it's like three hundred or four hundred, I believe. Um, but, you know... You, you know, if you save the little sister, they give you like an Adam gift, like a little stuffed yeah. teddy bear gift that more or less gives you the amount of Adam pretty much close to how much you would get if you harvested. And you also get bonuses too. Like there, yeah. there's, there's not enough reason, you know, if the game wanted to line up with its ulterior motive of wanting to, to be the altruistic figure and save everything, you know, it would, you know, and you pointed this out to me too before we start recording. Recording is they wanted to make the quote reward for saving sisters much harder, or yeah, much much mu much less rewarding. Yeah, uh, and he's and that's you know the thing that's he, again in his mind. I'm guessing, based on what I saw of him, in his mind, he's he is like thinking, you know, damn it, you know, I, I wish we could have made this a more artistically relevant critique of the Randian worldview where, you know, in the, the Randy, I'm, in his mind, the Randian choice is to, the Randian choice is to, uh, uh, harvest, ha harvest to come maximize profit. And the, and the, and the other, the other, um, choice is to, is to is to be altruistic and to be a good person. Yeah, I but mean that's not true at all. But that's not true at all. That's not yeah. true at all. That's not that's not the Randy Randy Rand's entire life and Rand's entire all her characters, all they do is sacrifice expe the expedient way out. The 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 guy who takes the profit who does the harvesting is Peter Keating. It's not Howard yeah. Rourke. Yeah. So. That's the part that the lip that the lib completely is blind to in Rand's vision, um, which is that in order to become a, a fully self actual self actualized individual and the, to be your best self, you have to sacrifice the lesser the lesser thing. You have mm -hmm. to know what the proper like. You have to if you what you value is. If you value life, which she does, that's the number one value is human life, literally. Um, uh, existence is axiomatic. Nothing matters more than human life. Mm -hmm. you, you, would, you, would, you would save the girl every time because you value human life, not because you don't value money over life. That's the part they just don't get about. They don't understand because they're, they're, they, are, they have these, this, this entire uh, you know, hair shirt of triggers that they can't get through to understand her real the real mm -hmm. um the real thing she's after so yeah. there's no way in the world ayn rand or any of her characters would choose the because they in their in their own novels in her own novels all you have to do is read the fucking book all you have yeah. to do is read her actual stories they never choose money 
over vision ever. They never choose material reward over their spiritual quest. Um, they, they're not anti-money because that's not the point. The point isn't to be anti-money because that's exactly how they trick you. They trick you into being a little fucking would you, uh, would you kindly, would you kindly slave by yeah. getting you to focus on someone's wealth and money. Money is simply a, money is a, is a tool, it's a symbol. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a, just a currency. It's not, it's not, Andrew Ryan isn't where he is because of, he's obsessed with money. He's where he is because he had a, a vision of the world that he was obsessed with achieving. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, it, it may be very flawed and it may have made major blind spots. That's a separate topic. They don't yeah. get into that because they can't like they, no. nobody can, you know, it's and, like they're not capable of that. No. But, and so that's why I think he would have got, you know, he's lucky he didn't go that far because it would have like, if you want to make a true moral thing, that's fine. But saving the girl is the Randian choice yeah. in this world if you have if you have your head on straight. Yeah. And that's where I think the game like in my view, you know, what if this is this game art? I would say no, because I think it values that it's a game more than anything. But I think my ultimate takeaway from this game is that. I, like I don't know, it's Bioshock is like an accidental Rand thing. Like Rand, hopefully I'm making so. It's like Rand in her favor, and I mean, I think the writer, you know, Ken Levine being the writer, you know, and director. I don't think he, you know, like you said, he doesn't understand it, and I think he in it incidentally created something in line with her while he was trying to tear her down i mean you only did you look at the other endings by chance the because you got the good ending uh, uh no i didn't look at the other endings what are they yeah. like well i mean they're basically the same thing it's just that the tenenbaum narration is different so if you mm -hmm. harvested all the little sisters she reprimands you her tone mm -hmm. is reprimanding but if you save some, harvest some, she's more sad. She she delivers literally the same voiceover. It's just oh, that so you care. Yeah, I mean, I think, I honestly think almost the the little sister choice really means nothing into the story. I think if the game just had the good ending, it would have been better. I mean, if do you agree on that? Like, I feel like the the good ending should have just been the only ending because I think whether wherever he wanted the story to go i think that's where it was going to go anyway and to have a bad a quote-unquote bad evil ending is very gamey like it's totally a game ending and i wonder if like maybe when they were doing it they realized oh well we just kind of like they like had this moment of realization or something i don't know like it, it it's such a weird case where a game 180 like it inadvertently like disproves its ultimate goals I, it's it's it just goes to show you like some if you are if you're immersed in a world in which you are trying to um in which you are trying to disprove or undermine what is true Mm -hmm. The truth will out, as they say in murder mystery stuff, like the truth will out. The truth wins. The truth wins because the truth 
has re- has reality on its side like <laughs> ultimately you know i mean the 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 ultimate reality on its side because no matter what you do you end up running into the same wall you know it's like it's kind of like it's kind of like how you know ayn rand is to klein mm-hmm. uh, klein right his name sorry i'm fucking it up again klein in the 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 creator of the game uh ken levine ken levine ayn rand is to ken levine what ken levine is to the player so the play to ken to the player the player is ultimately living in ken levine's world right no matter what you do no matter what your illusion of choice is you are going to do what ken levine has designed for you to do um you're living you're living in the truth of bioshock as a player there's no way out there's nothing else you can do i can't create my own filthy armenian adventure in mm-hmm. bioshock i'm playing i'm playing ken levine's game i'm trapped in the truth the truth is ken levine's truth i mean the game the game is whatever he wants it to, whatever he's going to take me to be because the reality of the game is on his side he's created that reality he has created mm-hmm. its laws its rules and it's and it's and he's created the option of inputs that i have he is the god in the machine yes god in his machine the god in his in his that the machine that he has chosen to to create this game with is Ayn Rand. Yeah. And so whatever he did, he couldn't without abandoning the thing altogether. Yeah. Without abandoning the project altogether or just, you know, scrapping finding it. some sort of scrapping yeah. it or being, you know, being like cheap. Yeah. Scrapping it entirely, uh, uh, cheat, cheat coding, whatever. He could have tried to cheat his way out of it, I guess. But I think I have a feeling that as soon as he adopted, as soon as he signed the signed the spiritual contract that he was going to make the story of this game, you know, the world of this game, and the, the, as he put it, the story, the story, they had the world, they knew the yeah. world, the world was going to be this underground, they had the visuals and everything They the world was going to be that's as he described it, I don't know if the art deco was part of that initially, or if that I'm sure it was a symbiotic relationship at that point. I but. For- from what I know, in the early builds, it was I. It was a dystopia city, but I don't think the Art Deco art style or the underwater aspect had been nailed. Like so that it came from yeah. The, I, the underwater means nothing but yeah. It's just, so it's it's all the Art Deco, the the voice, the world of Fountainhead yeah. that he wants. Yeah. Um, more so, a world of Atlas Shrugged though, because again, Atlas Shrugged, Atlas Shrugged is rand's dystopia of america um which by the way feels very relevant to the times we're living in just as the fountainhead feels very relevant to the times we've been living in but like that so that's like that's why again i'm still surprised that yet they hadn't read atlas shrugged i'm sure it was swimming in his head the references and stuff but still yeah um but the point is that because he was dead because the story was defined by ayn rand he had no choice but essentially to vindicate her vision. And it's just an amazing thing you see anytime you're dealing with the truth. That's why you see all these atheistic novels ending up essentially vindicating Christianity. It's why you see, or, you know, religion, you know, God, let's just say God, uh, but like you see it happen over and over and over and over again. Um, and and, it's, and, it, and it, it shows you why you shouldn't lose hope and you shouldn't lose, and you should not despair at the permanence of any kind of darkness, because there is, if the truth is there, 
and it's still and it's and if it's not if it hasn't been completely if it hasn't been completely destroyed you know that's the thing like if it's not complete if i if if he went after if he didn't pick up ayn rand if he just chose some other fucking horrible thing well a the game would not have been as interesting we wouldn't be talking about it right now mm -hmm. um who knows what it would have been like i don't know what this game is without ayn rand what is this game without ayn rand it's probably one of his other games or what like who I mean, cares if it's yeah i mean all he had been really known for beforehand was system shock 2 which was like sort of space like sort of sci i mean it was sci-fi again i feel it's like in a space setting he made thief he was part of the thief the dark project but he was only a writer for that i believe uh and then he was what was also... special about system shock 2 though is my is my question i think like, just what because would... it's like the i mean it's more or less literally just the same thing as bioshock like it's got the sort of same gameplay loop except it's you know it's more clunkier because it's you know mid nine mid mid late 90s like melt molding of rpg and fps mechanics I mean, it's literally just Bioshock. It's just a different setting. But again, sure. I mean, when he was on that team that made it, they weren't a big studio, but it was a cult classic. I think only like 200,000 units sold. Meanwhile, Bioshock, even though it had the benefit of being a 2K game, you know, if this was just underwater city, like underwater city, like New York, if it was like underwater New York City, I don't think anyone would have attached to it, but like, hey, it's art underwater Art Deco and Ayn Rand City, and like now people are lured into it, and that's why it sold millions. It became its own franchise, and that's why people are still thinking about. It. I mean, if it wasn't a beloved game, then it wouldn't have gotten this remaster treatment that it got a few years yeah. ago. Like we, it would have been stuck on the the xbox 360 and the playstation 3 i mean sure it's on pc but you know point being uh you know he you know he's his most of his previous works were not on this level of bioshock bioshock catapulted him to the mainstream and you see you see him confronting the fact you know confronting what he has created almost in bioshock infinite because the, the main crux of bioshock infinite is that they're always the you know the core uh found groundwork of bioshock there's you know i think the the line in infinite is there's always a lighthouse there's always a man and there's always a city and infinite's big reveal is that there's multiple dimensions that all play out the same way so there's always a rapture there's always an andrew ryan and there's always you know uh, you know, a lighthouse that gets you to it, you know, because infinite is the same way. There's a lighthouse that gets you to the city in the sky. There is a man who in uh, infinite is Comstock is his name. And there's always a city in infinite's case, it's called Columbia, but he's almost addressing the fact that he has like created his own, like Ouroboros snake eating itself thing where he can't escape what he's created and like what we said, Ayn Rand's go, you know, looms over him where he's seemingly only doing like post Bioshock, he's only made one game and it was infinite. And he's been spending 10 years making this one game that's looking like it's going to be another Bioshock, you know. 
you you see the aftermath of him like wrestling with like the fact of what he made and realizing that what he's created in a sense i guess i i mean at least that's how i see it i guess um it's 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 really fun it's so funny <laughs> yeah i mean i guess you know he's in rand's world living in for oh by the way i want to say also it's another good idea. I mean, you know, not to be all, uh, not to be all like art professor shit, but it's also, it also helps to point out that as important as the ideas and the, and everything it, it, it is the art of Ayn Rand. And that is what also imbues this with its, uh, it's like, you know, un inescapable, undeniable enchantment. It's her art deco, like cinematic art deco style. And yeah. that's that's another huge part of the equation. So like it's not even about her ideology, which is what everything everything is mixed together is my point. You can't get you can't have one without the other. Like it's not just about ideology. It's her entire vision of the world that is so inescapable and that keeps her <laughs> that really makes her the most relevant writer of her time. I mean, at this yeah. point, there's no there's no way around it. Just as a question for you, because, you know, you know way more than me about her have there been other examples of someone trying to do what ken levine did and more or less something of the same ilk happened or is this kind of like a unique thing just to this guy you mean in the terms of the game like they're just the like ken, ken like ken levine's sort of reality that he has created for himself like has that ever happened to anyone who's like tried to like do the rant you know do do the 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 epic rand takedown or is this just kind of unique to him uh i was just curious like i i it happens all i i feel like it happens all the time i don't have um i don't have like uh specifics uh, specifics on at off the top of my head but if i even if i thought about it for like a moment and i'll try really hard for a moment to i mean it's the point being is Wait, it, it the point being is you know this has happened so it's not a unique thing you, do you mean in the sense of like living <laughs> then being doomed to live in that world forever or in the sense of him ultimately vindicating what he set out to disprove because if he if it's vindicating what he set out to disprove that happens all the well, time well yeah i i knew but that but the uh the the former the former that he lived that he's like that he is trapped in this world forever well it happened um you know obviously we have you have to deal with a world that is compelling enough yeah it's 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 like a lot of people yeah i mean a lot of the you know people who are investigating the the dime square alt-right reds you know this world that we're in yeah that that this this world that has like that like was carefully through a through through completely disparate individuals for years in a way kind of we arrived at this Camille Paglia world where where you know at the top is is Red Scare and all this there are a lot of people who are trying to who do who try to investigate that world and end up trapped in it forever yeah. um and and are you know endlessly drawn in and can't get out and they can't there's a lot of those people like no no one's ever tried to no one's ever tried to make a you know blockbuster game or anything out of fucking dime square that would be hilarious want, hilarious i'd love to I see that a, i want a game based off palio's life that'd be fun 
I'd <laughs> love to see a game. I'd love to see a game based off uh, Dime Square and Palia, where like <laughs> you have to collect oysters in order to feed the e girl. Because like if you don't feed, and then you have to decide whether you want to save the e girl like a straight person idiot would, or whether you want to <laughs> harvest her brains for just scrap, as a proper choice would be. And you get rewarded if you do the proper choice instead of saving the e girl and with you, and giving her all your oysters. Um, uh, this does happen. I do think this happens all the time. Um, you know, if you if you remove the thing with him trying to coming in with a critical angle, and you just look at people who, you know, explored a world and ended up pretty much trapped in that world, that author forever. I mean, a friend of mine who's you know, it's just who became like it's just like it becomes your subject. At a certain point, it becomes your. Oh, look at me! Like mm -hmm. I thought that I was. I mean, you know, I was pro, so I'm not coming at it, but like, I thought that, I thought that my Ayn Rand phase was a completely buried thing of the past that I would never, ever, other than, you know, to tribute a portion of my life that I would uh, never be ashamed of, but just, I'd be like, so I would simply, you know, it was a, it was a phase, I, it was a thing I went through and then moved on to, you know, other parts of the world. Who, who knew that my podcasting career would begin with an invitation to discuss the Fountainhead 20 mm -hmm. years after, 20 years after my Ayn Rand thing began, even more than 20 years after. Like, mm -hmm. who the fuck knew that was going to happen? Um, and, now, and, you know, that kind of... Who knew you'd be talking now about here a I game? Am, <laughs> and I'm talking about a fucking game from 2007 which is even late in my Rand in the career and way late. That's after I'd already been, that's after I'd already moved past Rand by quite a bit. <laughs> like who, like, you know, it's, it, we are, we are totally def defined by the uh, authors we come into contact with if the they idol. are true authors. That is what author means. Like they have authored our reality. Uh, when you do read a book, any great book, and you take it seriously and you you know, so the degree that you read it, to the degree that you actually put yourself in it, you will be, a, you will, you will start, that becomes part of your world. It's one of the reasons why art is so cool. Um, it's, it's, and it's one of the things that separates art, going back to the very origins of this conversation, it's one of the things that separates art from not quite art. Yeah. Uh, if you're, you know, now, are you going to be living in Bioshock, for example, I mean, <laughs> Flash whatever game forever and ever and ever is that going to haunt you everywhere you go is that you're going to be maybe maybe not I'm just saying like that's a good quite that's a good way of knowing whether you're whether you're dealing with the real shit because yeah. it's, it's the real shit becomes part of reality the real shit finds a way to merge itself with the reality of those who contend with it because like you know we don't know what real reality is truly made of it's a very tricky it's a very uh uh you know sp spooky dimension um but we do we we but we but we can see when the when certain minds and certain spirits are able to force their way into our reality and into reality you know the reality of the world um these are the people like Ayn Rand and and other any other major artist as well um and so that that's how you know the difference you know or is it going to be like is it going to be something that you just, you know, you have a lot of fun with and you forget and, you know, you pick it up again, you have fun with, I mean, I don't know, you know, to some degree, I guess you could say that like, like you know, everything has an effect just by no whether it's artistic or not, like you can get sissy hypnoed by anything that's kind of effective. It doesn't mean that it's like art, but, yeah. but if there is a forceful mind behind it, 
if it is a if it does amount to something if it if it creates its own reality that has nothing to do with the real one but can you know is powerful enough that you can live in it for a while and then become a nintendo game for the rest of your life and you know drink out of sippy cups and <laughs> and have a chicken tenders at your uh mario wedding or whatever <laughs> uh with toad and with yoshi your your uh your best man and your maid of honor <laughs> Fucking, I don't know, man. This is life. Is you know, to be careful. Life. Be careful what. Be careful what you. What 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 game? You know, be careful what weapons you choose. Be careful what you play. What 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 uh, incinerator you whatever fucking put in that slot. What plasmid? What plasmid you roll with? Hey, listen, my your you know, Rand is for you. Hideo Kojima is for me. And hey, I know. I think. Um, I guess in a way to wrap this up i guess you know a final question for you and i feel like i might know the answer is but is bioshock art for you no but <laughs> no but it shows us why ayn rand is yes i i, I and i can understand that i i lean into the no as well however I think what what is magic about Bioshock is that there is a I, I, I feel like there is a pulse there, even if it maybe is like the like not the intentional pulse. I, I can respect, you know, 16 years later that Bioshock has stuck with people for so long. I mean, when I said I was doing this, a lot of people have chimed in. Whenever I post about Bioshock, a lot of people chimed in. They had their own opinions about it. You know, all the sort of things. I think, you know, for, a, you know, a lot of games are just like toss away experiences that no one talks about. The fact that Bioshock has withstood the test of time, even if, you know, there are problems with it, you know, as it were, I think I can at least appreciate you know, whatever sort of lasting impact this game has had, you know, on me, you know, as someone who remembers when this game was announced, who remembers seeing the trailers online, you know, remember, you know, all the reviews coming out, all this like sort of the, the hype cycle of it, I guess. And then the sort of years after with the franchise and the sort of fallout of the franchise, you know, I think my personal takeaway is that I'm glad that it happened. I'm glad Bioshock happened. I'm glad I played Bioshock. Um, I wouldn't say like I, I, I wouldn't want to erase Bioshock from my gaming history. Uh, I will still go back to it. You know, when I replayed it, I had a blast again. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think we exhausted Bioshock pretty heavily, and I can't thank you enough for taking me on arguably one of the most deep episodes yet. Like I, I knew we were going to get pretty deep, but I, you know, I I'm grateful that you were able to take this even farther than I could have hoped for. So I, I thank you deeply for this. I thank you for inviting me to play it and for, you know, for inducting me into the world of Bioshock, <laughs> which is yet another, you know, sign of, of the wonders of of, of grappling with uh, Alicia Rosenbaum of 
of uh, uh, Saint Petersburg, Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and and uh, and a Hollywood girl, <laughs> and well, finally a New York a skyscraper uh, matron of the sky. Mm-hmm. Not uh, the underground, <laughs> not the underground, not the not the Atlantis that everyone is. <laughs> sci-fi trying to drown her in no 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 she writes from the top so what you're a saying a man is... chooses a man chooses and so what... a leech so a what... leech <laughs> so what you're saying parasite. so you, what you're saying yeah. is Ayn Rand is a gamer she is rising up she is rising up <laughs> she is she is controlling little Mr. Little Kleinman what's his name I keep forgetting Levine, Kleinman. Isn't Kleinman one of the characters in Bioshock? No. She is controlling. She is she is toying with Levine's little creative instincts. Uh like a little toy. Just a little toy she has in the cabinet, not even one of her main ones. And she is <laughs> laughing upon him with the laughter of righteousness. The laughter of a man who set out to be the best that he could be and made it real. And a slave obeys. But a man, chooses. a man, a man chooses to write Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> and one day you'll understand. One day you'll understand. And Sandy Cohen, let us raise a glass for Sandy Cohen. You know, he was a real athlete, that man. They they vilify him. Fontaine vilified him. He's the but best. He, was a, he, he knew what he was doing. Yes, he is a Noel Coward of the bio of the Rapture. And he had taste and he had refinement and his masterpiece was worth all the fake blood that was spilled to achieve it. His four painting <laughs> little masterpiece, his gay little orgy of a thing. And I want to raise a glass to the poof, to the homosexual poof without which no culture is possible, above ground or underneath it. So the man himself, Sandy Cohen. <laughs> so true and i think that is where we will stop the recording